2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per
3: line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. There is a tone setter, my friends. Welcome in. Welcome in. Happy Saturday, everybody. Hope you're doing well out there. Rob Ellison for Glenn Macnow, along with my man. Mike Sealski. Mike, good morning. How you doing, my friend? Good morning, Robert. It's good to be with you. Dan Wilson. That was very, that was very formal. <laughs> oh my God. Jeez. I just I, I went back into my childhood for you. I'm sorry. If I sounded like... Out. If you put Patrick in there, I would have run out the front door <laughs> of the studio. You would have been on your
1: own today.
2: Daniel I, Lee Ryan Wilson checking you, in yes. here. Yeah.
1: Jeez. <laughs> I sounded like a sixth-grade teacher. I apologize. Yes. Present. Present.
3: I'm here today. Thank you, Michael. Yes.
2: <laughs>
1: Um, yes, I want formal, everybody, you can't be, uh, you know, Joe on a mobile, it has to be Joseph. <laughs> it's it's now. honorifics all over. Uh, yes. Yeah, Yes. Uh, Mr. Jenkins from <laughs> Westchester is on yes. to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers.
3: Yes, uh, we will talk about those Philadelphia 76ers, but let's start with the Phillies, Mike. Um, and first off, happy Father's Day weekend, everybody. If you're if you're incorporating Saturday into it and in perfect weather, first Absolutely. of all, tomorrow's going to be Perfect mm-hmm. again, um, but everybody, first off, happy Father's Day to every father out there and also everybody who steps up as a father, whether that's an uncle, whether that's a guardian, whether that's a family friend, whether it's a mom doing the job of both, whatever the case may be, happy Father's Day, happy Father's Day to you, Mike.
1: Right back at you, Rob.
3: Thank you, my friend. All right, so uh, you heard it last night. Uh, first pitch, Kyle Schwarber in, doing what Kyle Schwarber does on in June uh, and does in general. He goes yard, Mike, um, and, and you look at what he's – he's got 19 home runs now, and he's on his typical June tear, uh, as we always see, right?
1: It's still so funny to me to talk about a hitter going on a tear, and Kyle Schwarber is on a tear in June. You know what he's batting in June? No. 224. <laughs> and 177 of the season. <laughs> I mean, I know, I get it. That is that is not the number that matters most. His yeah. OPS in June is well over 900. He's got six home runs. He's got a couple doubles. He's got a triple. He's hitting leadoff home runs. I just maybe it's the old school in me, Rob. Yeah. I I still need that getting used to the idea that a batting average doesn't matter as much as some other.
3: Teams. I know, and I and I think we're all we all of a certain generation have to just sort of just for whatever reason for this team. It works. It does. So you just have to sort of put that stuff aside. I, you know, it started, that kind of thought process chipped away for me with Jimmy. Now, Jimmy Rollins was certainly, I'm not comparing him to Schwarber, and, mm-hmm. you know, but Jimmy was not a high on base percentage guy. Jimmy was, you know, would do a lot of things for right. him, but that was not his strength. Mm-hmm. That's where I was sort of like, all right, I got to let this go, man. Like, it's not Lenny Dykstra, Pete Rose days anymore. You know, time
1: no. to move on. And I think you're right. I think with the alignment of this team, and what their strengths are, where they score runs in bunches because they hit the ball out of the ballpark. Schwarber is the ideal kind of guy for mm-hmm. them. The, the entire tenor of a game changes when he hits one 375 feet like he did last night, and he did that throughout the postseason last year. And I think your comparison to Jimmy Rollins is really, really good. Obviously, Kyle Schwarber can't run like Jimmy Rollins. He's not going to hit 20 triples in a season. Uh, but... He can start a game with a lightning bolt, and for this kind of team, that works. And yeah. it stretches the rest of the lineup out. It allows you to move if you want to guys in other spots in the order. You don't have to bat Bryson Stott lead off. You don't have to ha- bat Trey Turner lead off. You can stretch the lineup out, and they do have a very deep lineup, and it's starting to produce. Yeah,
3: and you're you know what you're seeing. You're seeing the absolute perfect combination here because. What I really like about what they've done of late during this, this run that they've gotten on now, they won 11 of 13, four straight, is they're jumping on teams early. And then generally, you know, we'll get into Nola and all that. But generally, they're getting very good starting pitching. And Taiwan Walker was phenomenal last night. I mean, his best start, Mike, since 2017, first time he won eight innings. He's been great. Wheeler looks like Wheeler again. Mm-hmm. And Suarez has been absolutely, you know, scorching. So this is a nice combination that they're in right now.
1: It, it is. Yeah. Uh... It's been interesting to read and follow the coverage of Taiwan Walker over the last three weeks and how much he's talking about the fact that the rules changes and the pitch clock forced him to get into better shape. Yeah, That he had to start changing his workout routines so that he was in better physical condition to be able to pitch as quickly as the pitch clock makes you pitch now. And he's pitching better than he has all year. I mean, his last three starts... He's 3-0. and He's allowed one run in 20 innings. He was dominant last night. This is the guy they thought they were getting mm-hmm. for four years and $72 million, and it, I think it lifts a cloud over the team. The, my colleague, Scott Lauber, who we're going to have on later in the show, wrote about this last night, about how there were rumblings and concerns within the Phillies organization that, oh, my gosh, we may have misspent $72 million on this guy. If he doesn't straighten himself out, where are we? And he straightened himself out, mm-hmm. and that's filtered down to, as you said, Wheeler, and Ranger pitching better, and now the lineup hitting, and all of a sudden they're the, they're looking like the team we thought they were going to be.
3: Yeah, and, and I'll give Walker a lot of credit. You know, some guys would have just been stubborn and said, "Yeah, I'm just going to keep doing things exactly the way I do it." It got me four years, you know, seventy two million. What he's done is is kind of weird. Uh, it's it's in between starts, he's. Taking ground balls, he's shagging flies, like he's doing athletic things mm-hmm. that are keeping him in shape. But he feels way more athletic on the mound, and yeah. it's it's good for the Phillies, good for him. Whoever thought that this was the way to go, I give them props because there were there were quality adjustments made. Maybe Aaron Nola should take a look <laughs> at what what Taiwan Walker's doing.
1: Yeah, take all that time Nola is spending talking about the pitch clock yeah. and shift it towards running more or taking grounders or something like that. But but to your point, Rob, and this is something that that when I've been on the station for the last couple of months, has been kicked around a lot, is we do tend to think that in sports, once uh, an athlete or a player starts out performing in a certain way, he or she is going to perform that way the entirety yeah, of the season. There could never be any kind of improvement. Right, or Right, yeah. right. And this team was not going to be the team that they were for the first month and a half, two months. Uh, there were too many guys who weren't hitting whose track record said they're going to hit. Trey Turner uh, being the primary example of that. There were too many guys in the rotation who weren't pitching well whose track record suggested they're going to pitch well. And you're seeing that now, as you said, from Wheeler and, excuse me, Walker Mm -hmm. and from Ranger Suarez. So I, I think you have to feel much, much better about this team going forward. You know, Glenn and I talked last week and the week before about how this stretch of the season could be a defining one for them, yeah. that if they're going on the road and uh, they got the four in zone and they're coming back against the Braves and the Mets once they get home, well, they're feeling pretty good about themselves now, and the Mets aren't no, the Mets are a mess, and we'll we'll get into the Mets because they, there's a they' between injuries
3: and just poor play and now show Walter's on a hot seat. it's it's crazy. But with the Phillies team, Mike, and I, I guess we'll we'll start with this. um are you now they're thirty six and thirty four? Uh, we mentioned they've won eleven of their last thirteen. they have won four straight. You know, they they win today. This'll be what, the fifth straight series win. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just, let me be clear about that, bad teams that they're beating. No. You, you know, they yes, they started it off where you had to start it off. Nats and Tigers, great. Since then, it's the Dodgers, it's the Diamondbacks. Yes, Oakland's bad, but but they were at least they showed some life for a minute there. They had won seven
1: games in a row.
3: Yeah. And and so that that rap goes out the window as far as I'm concerned. But are you buying this that now? They've turned the page.
1: Yeah, I think I am. I was always a little more optimistic about them writing the ship than a lot of people were just because I tend to think of us when we talk about sports nowadays, whether you're talking about baseball or even the NBA or the NHL, we've kind of NFLized every single sport where every single game seems to mean so much. And that's not the case in baseball. You've got to follow a team and judge it over a week's stretch, a two-week stretch, mm-hmm. a month stretch. And the idea that they were just going to fall off a cliff because they had gotten off to a bad start just didn't jive with me. It didn't It didn't ring true uh, because they had guys coming back from injury. They had guys who would eventually perform well as they had before. I, I still think Aaron Nola can turn it around. As frustrated as people are with him, you look at what Walker has done to right himself. There's, as you said, Rob, there's no reason Aaron Nola can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have some concerns, and we'll get into them later in the show. I think the fifth starter spot uh, is a big, big worry. Uh, they're having a bullpen game today yeah. with Christian Sanchez on the mound. They are not good in those games. They are uh, two and ten Oof. in games that Bailey Falter, uh, Dylan Covey, and the bullpen have started, mm-hmm. and that's the difference between them being two games over five hundred and maybe twelve. Yeah, five, six, seven, eight games over five.
3: Yeah, no question. It, look, and there's that's a, a real issue. And the problem is, Mike, because of the expanded wild card, there are teams that really don't have legitimate chances who think they're still alive. So it's yeah. harder to deal with them, and it makes it a little bit more challenging to make an earlier trade rather than July
1: 31st. Well, that's going to be one of the things we get into with Scott Lauber, mm-hmm. who's going to join us at noon. He wrote a terrific piece for the Inquirer this week, making a suggestion to solve the Phillies' fifth starter problem that wouldn't involve a trade. So mm-hmm. we'll get into that with okay. him
3: later in the show. Yeah, and the other thing is, look, 5.9 runs per game over the last 13 and 19 home runs. I mean, the, the offense now resembles what we thought it was going to be, and it's for all the reasons you laid out. Harper's, you know, Harper came back. Like, there aren't a lot of easy outs in this lineup. If you run through it when Stott's in I don't know why Stott didn't start against the lefty last night. I don't like it, but whatever. But when you run through that, I mean, that that there are no easy outs, especially with the way Castellanos has played all year. And the other guys starting to come around, you know, it, it's it's they're they're look, they're a quality team. And I think they've gotten their act together. They figured it out. And, and in a weird way, Mike. Having that terrible start last year, you had a lot of guys who could go back to that well and say, mm-hmm. look, we did the same thing last year. We don't you don't like to do this, but we know how to get out of it and we're going to be OK.
1: Yeah. Look, I think it is fair to look at them as a team. Where you say to yourself, if they get in the playoffs, that's in a way, good enough, because the way they're built, and we saw this in October last year, they can win a short series. They can beat anybody mm-hmm. in a short series. We saw that against the Cardinals. We saw that against the Braves. We saw that against the Padres. If you have Zach Wheeler and or Aaron Nola or even Ranger Suarez pitching well and you have one or two guys in the middle of the lineup who are knocking the ball over the fence yeah. you know, once a game or once every other game, You can win a best-of-five or a best-of-seven series, so just get in. And as you said, with the expanded wild card, with the way they're playing now, I think that's the way you judge the season. Don't worry about whether they catch the Braves. Don't worry about do they finish with 88 wins or 87 wins or 91 wins. Just get in because they're going to be a tough out against anybody.
3: So you want to hop on, 215-592-9494. As Mike mentioned, Scott Lauber coming up at 12 o'clock from Oakland. He'll be joining us. What we're watching at 1125, Mike and I, We'll just say this. We both watched the, uh, the Michael J. Fox documentary still. Mm-hmm. We both watched it. We'll give our reviews of it. Yep. And we want to spin something uh, off of that as well uh, with a movie that's coming out as well. It's kind of a – it's an interesting theory. Uh, it's an interesting sort of like thought because I think it's something that was very prominent maybe back in the day more, but I think it still applies to today, which is mm-hmm. something we're going to do. Uh, we'll have our doctor coming up at 1145 as well. So, something else that went down this week, Mike, was Doc Rivers was on Bill Simmons podcast, mm-hmm. and Bill Simmons, look, love him or hate him. He's very tuned into the the NBA. very much so. And Doc, I thought, look, you can you can look at it a couple of different ways. I thought he was open and and frank, and I'll give him props for that. Some people may say it's typical Doc, you know, never looking in the mirror and holding himself accountable. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. I mean, to me, like that that thing is like whatever at this point he's yeah. gone. I don't even care. right. There were three things that he hit on, that I thought were interesting. One, with Embiid, he said it was a two-part with Embiid. One, he needs an alpha with him. Yes, and two, he needs to be a better teammate, meaning off the court, spend time, you know, sort of cultivate his teammates a little bit more than he does. So let's start with that one. Um, Should he need an alpha at this point, at thirty years old, having been in the league for? Whatever it's been ten years, y- you
1: wouldn't think so. But this has been the con- my contention with Joel Embiid over the last couple of years. I think he is a wonderful player. I think he is easily one of the ten best players in the NBA. Probably one of the five best players. He certainly deserved the MVP award for his performance during the regular season. But and this is a this is a small but, but it's a big but at the same time. It's a J
3: Lo, but it's not really a J Lo.
1: <laughs> I'm not going there, but I'm yeah. there. I, um. When you are comparing him to the other elite of the elite in the NBA, those guys, and we've seen it now in Nikola Jokic with the run that the Nuggets just went on to win the championship, those guys have an extra gear that when the games matter most, they want the ball, you run everything through them, it's get on my back, guys, and we're, I will take you there, whether it's LeBron, whether it's Steph Curry, whether it was Tim Duncan with the Spurs or Kobe with the Lakers, whatever... Person or athlete you want to pick, Embiid just has not done that yet, and I think there are certain reasons for that. For that, I've gotten into them on the show before. I think it's, it has to do with how he came to basketball and the culture he grew up in, and kind of the way he looks at this opportunity he has to be in the NBA. But it's not there. So from a talent centerpiece of your team standpoint, you're right. He shouldn't need an alpha. But from a personality standpoint, I think he needs someone to kick him in the butt. He needed – that was the value of Jimmy Butler That too. And the
3: problem is the organization didn't recognize that yeah. enough. Yeah. And they catered to Ben Simmons and Brett Brown or and whomever had an issue with Jimmy Butler. They catered to that. And this has been the – this is also part of the Joel Embiid story, Mike, is perennially – and I'm I'm not letting him off the hook. What, what happened at the end of Game 6 and Game 7 was embarrassing and disgraceful. But they've never figured out the proper pieces around him either. That's true. And, and it has been an, an absolute failure of assets between draft picks and money allotted to be able to be, you know, go. we, could, we don't need to go through Okafor and all the other misses and Simmons and faults et cetera, et cetera. We know it. And you're left with this now, whatever yeah. this
1: is. Well, well, one of the interesting things that Doc said in that interview with Simmons was that Simmons asked him, so what would be the perfect player? Mm-hmm. If you could design a player to pair with Embiid, what kind of player would it be? And Doc said something like a big point guard who could shoot. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, good luck finding yeah. one of those. They're just right? they're just like, growing from trees. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. like who are you describing? You're basically describing like Kevin Durant, yeah,
3: or, like, <laughs> like, or, or like I mean, a Drew Holiday. But good luck,
1: right? Uh, yeah. Gee, interestingly it,
3: enough, you may have had him at one exactly. point. exactly,
1: yeah. and and you traded him so that you could get yeah you know, start the whole process of getting Embiid. But you're right; it's been difficult to. Plug in pieces around him. And again, to draw the comparison to Jokic, you saw that in the finals. You saw, and this will lead to kind of the second thing that Doc said mm-hmm. about Joel, you saw how much Jokic's teammates enjoyed playing with him. Yeah. They knew if they cut hard to the basket, he would get them he the He makes ball. them better. He makes all of them better. And the way he carries himself and conducts himself they embrace that as well, mm-hmm. uh, and I think, like you said, that gets to what Doc was saying about Joel yeah. kind of off the
3: court. So this is the part, Mike, and I, I say this to i said this to my kids, I say it to the kids that I coach, you can always control effort. Shot's not always going to go in. Mm-hmm. You may not be the most talented guy in the world. That's just the breaks. That's right. life. But you can control your attitude, your effort, all those kind of things. Joel, and I'm not asking him, Mike, to be out partying or, or, or making it rain with James Harden in the mm-hmm. clubs. But you can take your your teammates out to dinner when you're in Milwaukee. Yeah, you you can have them over at your place when you have an off day on a, on a on a Wednesday, like that part. Like, come on, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, like st- this is if you want to take it to the next level, this is part of it. It's not just on the court,
1: right? And I don't think I think this is easily confused to be to frame Embiid as like a sullen guy who yeah. doesn't like he, his teammates. He, it's not that. It's yeah. not that. It's that he's grown up a fair amount since he's been in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He now has a fiance. He has a son. He's not known for the nightlife. Yeah, certainly which is not good. To, yeah, certainly not to the extent that James Harden is mm-hmm. and, and not to the extent that the, that the average NBA player is. But what that can come off as, I think, is a little bit of you're only seeing these guys in the gym. Yeah. And you're only seeing these guys when you have to. Yeah. And any work environment, generally speaking, the better you get along with your colleagues, the better your work output's going to be, whether you're talking about an NBA team, a talk radio station, mm-hmm. or an insurance company. Yeah. And if Joel's not engaging with these guys off the court, then he's not the leader he could be. He's not the centerpiece player he could be, and the team, in turn, suffers for that.
3: All right, so I want to I quickly run through the other parts, and we will get to all this with you as well. 215-592-9494. But what he said about Harden was, was – Like, there are so many red flags here with this Mm -hmm. Harden thing to me. Um, But anyway, one of the things that that Doc said was, look, we we sort of battled in the sense that I wanted him to play a certain way and he wanted to play his way. Now, he said for the first half of the year, he bought in, he did this thing. And he led the league in assists. There's no denying that. But he said by the end of the season, it was a struggle. Mm -hmm. And then we hear the leaks after the season ends that James wants the basketball freedom. Yes. Which would lend to that as well. Like, I don't think Doc's BSing this. I believe it, that, that like, Harden thinks he's still Harden circa 25 years old, and he's not Harden 25 years no. old. No. If I'm hearing this, and I'm the organization, and I know Daryl Morey's affection that he has for him, the blinders that he
4: mm-hmm. has.
1: No, dude. Yeah. If Houston wants you so bad, bye-bye. We were talking about this before the show, and one of the puzzling things to me about the way people, both among fans and in the media, are talking about the choice the Sixers have to make when it comes to James Harden is – the justification for bringing him back is he gives you the best chance to try to win a championship, but how great is that chance? Mm-hmm. That sort of decision-making is the kind that led them to hire Sam Hinkie and start the process. Because as I have said this before, I will say this again. If you sign James Harden for even two years, the instant he puts ink to paper, that is the worst contract in the NBA. That is absolutely the worst contract in the NBA. That locks you in mm-hmm. to these two years with him and Embiid and you got to hope for the best. Yeah. And we have seen what hoping for the best looks like in this partnership, and it's not going to work. I would rather them tell Harden to take a walk, go go to Houston if you want to, take a step back if you need to for a year, let Tyrese Maxey grow, clear the decks, get Tobias Harris off your books, and retool and kind of refresh it a year from now when Embiid is still just 31 or 32. Yeah, are you losing a year of his prime? You probably are. But he's still 31 or 32. It's not unheard of that he can be really good and contribute. Yeah, look, I'm with you. The, the only
3: danger, and I agree with you philosophically. The only danger you have is it's such a volatile league with stars. Yeah. If it's another year of just kind of going nowhere, does Embiid then get to the point where he wants out? You know, and and if that's the case, then maybe it's time to move that as well. Like, yeah. But it's a great question. It's the only. It's the only downside to to your. Theoretically where you're at. I, I, I I'm with you. Let yeah. me just say that. But yeah. there is a
1: there is a another side to that. that no, could there that there way. is. And and you know, I think part of this too is just from a basketball standpoint, to a certain degree, the Sixers are trying to win with a style of play that the league may be moving away from. Exactly. Like watch the way the Nuggets played and the way Jokic moves the ball. Having James Harden dribble at the top of the key and run pick and roll with Embiid as efficient as it was. Mm-hmm. Once you get in the playoffs. People know what you're going to do, and it's easier to stop it. And yeah. we've seen that each of the last two years. All right, one
3: last thing, and and later I'm gonna I want to play a cut for you, uh, Spike Eskin on his rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast had had a very interesting thing to say with what he was hearing regarding that Game Seven and James Harden, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> very damning. Oh, okay, but well we'll, we'll we'll play that for you in a second. But lastly, one of the other things that Doc said was with Bill Simmons um, was when I got hired, Elton Brand said to me, "Look, we need to sort of just like extinguish the process." Thought mm-hmm. that people still have in the building, and he said, I, "I had to go from everybody from like you know equipment guys to blah 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 blah." In other words, everybody in the organization, like, so that mentality was still lingering even when Doc was hired. What, no. There's the danger too, Mike. When when you're told, "Hey, sit out this year, sit out that year, lose, lose, lose," and you're Joel Embiid mm. and you don't have from the time you were a kid the American basketball thought process.
1: Yeah. yeah. Does
3: some of that seep into you? And is it is there a danger there that he's been like you know well that's,
1: scarred by that well that's one of the things that Doc pointed out that when he got there he had to persuade Joel to play. There, there are times. nights you can play. Yeah, I, I've maintained for years, Rob. I, I believe this: the athletes in the building and on the roster and playing every night are the real tone setters of the organization. The, the San Antonio Spurs didn't have to worry about those kinds of things after drafting David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Mm-hmm because of who those two guys were. The Lakers didn't have to worry about it with Kobe. They had to worry about some other things with him and Shaq, but they didn't have to worry about him setting a tone in the locker room. Uh, I think it is something that probably lingered. It is one of the the negative byproducts of the process, and it's one of the reasons that they probably should have kept Jimmy Butler, Mm -hmm. because as maddening as he was at the time, and as much pushback as he would give to Brett Brown and Ben Simmons and as much chaos as he might have caused – they probably need that. Yeah, well said.
3: Know? Well said. 215-592-9494. That's how you hop on. We'll come back, open up the phone lines. Uh, we'll also play you that that Spike Eskin cut as well. We'll get into the Eagles, Mike. I have a question I want to pose to you and our audience. And we'll, like I said, we'll dig into a fun topic here with uh, with actors and directors. So we'll get into all those kind of things. You don't want to go anywhere. He's Mike Sealski. I am Rob Ellis in for Glenn Macnow. WIP Sports Time is 1024. That's Taiwan Walker last night. Welcome back in, everybody. Rob Ellis in for Glenn Macknow, along with Mike Sealski. Uh, yeah, Phillies win 6 1. Walker goes eight innings, seven hits, just one run allowed, eight strikeouts, didn't walk anybody. Mike, what I loved, he was attacking, first pitch strikes, getting ahead of guys. You know, for the first time since 2017, he went eight innings, went 100 pitches. You know, this was unthinkable earlier in the year for him.
1: It was. He was awful. He was really <laughs> bad. And. It's the worst kind of bad in a way, Rob, yeah. I feel like, where a guy comes in, look, salaries are what they are in Major League Baseball and sports everywhere, but he gets probably a little overpaid mm-hmm. because the Phillies need back-of-the-rotation help and uh, they're willing to give him four years and $72 million to do it, and he's not pitching well enough to justify even being a A, let alone that contract. So to see him turn this around the way that he has, as I said in the first segment, Dave Dombrowski and the rest of the the player personnel staff oh. of the Phillies just must be breathing such a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. that like, oh, my gosh, this move didn't blow up in our faces that we signed this guy and committed so much money and so much time to him and he just can't handle Philadelphia.
3: Yeah, and he can, um, that's for sure, and we've seen it. And credit to him for some of the adjustments he's made. Trey Turner's starting to play well. You know, you couple that with Castellanos, who's been so good all year, Schwarber doing what Schwarber does in June. Now, all of a sudden, you look at the totality of this lineup. You know, Bryson Stott's a 300 hitter. Brandon Marsh has given you stability in center field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, there's just there's a lot of th- different ways to look at this thing, and you survive
1: first base because Cody Clemens has been pretty decent. You know, this to me raises, and I hinted at this in the first segment, but I'd be curious to your thoughts about it because you have so much experience both in the radio and the television industries in sports in Philadelphia, and I think it applies kind of throughout the country. I said in the earlier segment that it's hard to th- harder to think of baseball nowadays as what it is, a 162-game season where a week or two-week stretch is what really counts, and you can drive yourself crazy freaking out over yeah. Aaron Nola giving up a three-run home run mm-hmm. in the fourth inning of a game that the Phillies then go on to, to win. win. Yeah. And you see this on social media, you see people venting all the time. And I wonder if that how much that hurts how we ought to be looking at a particular team. Talking about the Phillies for instance, right? Like it just seems to me we lose all of our like reasonable perspective on them. Like yes. yeah, they were playing terribly. And if they continued playing terribly, we, people would be freaking out and people would be getting fired and that's understandable. But the idea that they were going to continue playing terribly never seemed to make much sense to me. And I think people fixated so much on night tonight and the outrage after a loss or after a bad pitching performance or after Kyle Schwarber striking out again in May for the dozenth time <laughs> that they forget, like there's a long way to go here. Well, all right.
3: So two things on your point. All right. Just to, to, just to cement your point. Okay. Okay. So, Go back two weeks. I, I'm I'm stretching it a little bit. It's 15 days ago. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're gonna go back to June 2nd. They lose the first game at Washington that Friday night, eight right. to seven. If you remember, they actually fought back pretty well. Yeah, but they end up losing. Okay, so at that point, they're 25 and 32, and you're saying they just got swept by the Mets. They just got it handed to them in the first game by by Washington, who's a really bad team. Like they're screwed. Mm-hmm. Like it was Panic City. It was right. Fast forward. 15 days, essentially two weeks, as we sit here on June 17th, right? Think about the feeling now compared to what the feeling was two Fridays ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, number one. I mean, that, that like, to me, yeah. says everything you know. All right, that said, let's go to today. It's the whole debacle with the fifth starter. Right. Whether it was Falter or whether it was a bullpen game. It's been bad.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: If they lose today— Okay, mm-hmm. which
1: is you know certainly,
4: certainly possible. possible. Christopher
3: yeah. Sanchez starting, although the guy they're facing has like a six eighty seven ERA.
1: Right, yeah, so, but, James Capriellian.
3: Yeah, who was your guy? I think you have his jersey. I do. All I right.
1: do Capriellian, Whatever his <laughs> number is, it literally says on the back of my jersey whatever his number is. Happy. Yeah. Yes. So
3: anyway, let's say they they lose today. This is this feeds right into your point. It's going to be oh my god, they don't have a fifth starter. This is what it could you're losing to this team with a fifth starter, and it's it's people are going to go ape bleep. Yeah. But then tomorrow Wheeler will, will pitch and deal and they'll win and they'll be like,
1: oh, everything's fine. I almost wonder if this is why baseball – its one of the reasons baseball doesn't have the same power in the marketplace of sports that it used to have Yeah, is that there's a game every day. Yes. So there's not room, there's not time in our condensed media environment to freak out about everything. It, right? It's
3: why the NFL, among a lot of other reasons, is the greatest because you have a week between games to – you know, revel revel in the in the in the win or the right. agony of defeat for yeah. three four days, and then the look ahead. Right, every, it's unique to any other sport in that sense.
1: Yeah, I, honestly, Rob, it's one of the reasons why I don't like the fact that the NFL, one of many reasons I don't like the fact the NFL went to a seventeen game season, and is eventually going to get to eighteen yep. and probably keep pushing it. it. And what they're doing, trying basically, I think, to get an NFL game on every single night of the week. Mm-hmm. Because as much as as football can approximate what happens with basketball and hockey and baseball, there's going to be too much of it. Yes, you know yes. the I thing agree. that the NFL has going for it is scarcity. It's not just the sport; it's the fact, as you said, it's once a week. Keep it once a week, and you will keep us, yeah, you know, following it and locked in. Uh, I wonder about that with baseball because the way people talk about and think about and consume sports nowadays, there's so much discussion of. What trade's going to be made? What player's going to be signed? What's going to happen between now and the next game? And with baseball, the next game's less than 24 hours yep. away, always.
3: Yeah, you're right. Let's go to Tom in Alden to kick things off. Tom, you're on 94 WIP. with quick. Good, good
1: morning, guys. Hi,
3: Tom. Time, hi, Tom.
1: Hi, boy.
5: First time I've been on the, the uh, air with uh, Mike. Thank, uh, thanks for taking
3: my call. Mike usually uh, was, doesn't take your calls, Tom. So it's, I, you're, you're very <laughs> Listen, Tom, when I took
1: this job last year, I told the producers here at WIP, there's this guy, Tom from Alden. Right. I, I don't know anything about him. I just know I don't like him. So don't <laughs> let him on the show. And Dan Wilson, unfortunately, gave in yes. today. On, probably because Glenn isn't here and yeah. let you on. So you better have something interesting to say. Uh, I don't know you
5: where down. you take But it, I'm going to ask the question anyway. I was very happy to see the Denver Nuggets uh, win the NBA championship because I am a fan of their general manager. Rob's got an idea why. My question to you guys is how much credit do you give the Denver Denver Nuggets general manager for their success? Calvin Booth you're referring
3: to, right? Penn Uh, State's (laughs) own. A a lot, actually. I mean, if you look at, of course you had Jokic, of course you have have Jamal Murray, and you have foundational pieces that are just ridiculous. But he goes out and gets Bruce Brown, Mm -hmm. who was incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe, I'd have to check, I don't know if he made the trade for Aaron Gordon. If he did, he gets a lot of props for that because Aaron Gordon has been phenomenal since he came over from Orlando. You give him credit for that. Uh, Christian Brown was a really good draft pick out of Kansas.
1: I covered him last uh, year in the Final Four when he beat kid. Villanova. He yeah. was impressive. So, yes. so,
3: Tom, to answer your question, like there are a lot <laughs> of nice role players with this team, with the two great ones.
1: Yeah,
5: that's, that's true. That's true. They did very well. I also saw the celebration, but I only saw it for about 20 minutes, uh, and then I went to bed. I didn't see Calvin get interviewed. Did he eventually get interviewed? And did he get interviewed by his fellow Penn State
3: alum Lisa Salters? Look at Tom working a lot of Penn wow, State in there. There's this. That's <laughs> a lot
6: of happy work.
3: I do this. There you go, Tom. <laughs> um, what I what I can say, and thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. What I can say is, I saw him. I don't remember if he was interviewed on the floor, so forgive me. But I but I did see him at the parade the other day when. <laughs> they got after it oh the, they did the nuggets michael malone enjoyed Whoa. himself and then some somebody said he looked like the uh, the fourth member of the beastie boys <laughs> circa 1987 <laughs> cuz he had the glasses on and the hat he did look he had a little ad rock going M- michael malone's boutique I yeah, guess. exactly um, but calvin booth did you know he was at the podium and, and kind of doing his thing and he, he represented himself very well but yeah he's done a really good job there and look i think the best team won i think the best team in the mm-hmm. nba won the most deep team in the
1: nba won and the most talented team in the nba won You know, it's interesting, Rob. Uh, One of the guys who gets a championship ring from the Denver Nuggets is Colin Gillespie from Villanova, Mm -hmm. who didn't play this year injured, but was there. You saw him on the bench, uh, saw him around. Uh, My colleague Mike Jensen from the Inquirer just did a piece about him last week about what it was like to be part of this ride. He's very good. Mike does an awesome job. He does. Um, And it raises the question of how one team goes about building its roster and its culture, and the Sixers have done it. And Mike has written about this, too. Think about how many terrific NBA players have passed through Villanova over the last 10 years, and none of them are on the Sixers. It's it's unimaginable, Mike. None of them. It really is. Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo. I think Colin Gillespie is not going to be an all-world guard. No, but he's a winner. But he's a winner, and there's a reason that the Nuggets take a flyer on a guy like that. And And Mike
3: kept him around. He was on a two-way. Yep. He broke his ankle working out at Villanova. They could have said bye-bye. Yep. Not only they keep him around, he's on the bench with them throughout the whole playoff run, which says something about him.
1: Yeah. Look, the Sixers had bridges for a hot minute and should have kept him. It might have been the worst move that they made. Mm -hmm. Which is saying something? Throughout the course of the process, however you want to define it. But you have all of these guys who bring all of the, not only the talent that they have, because look, Brunson's become a star in yep. New York. Bridges is on his way to becoming a star. Uh, but they also have just the it. the they have winning traits. Th- the winning traits that you want to have in players in the NBA. And it just boggles my mind how the Sixers have allowed that pipeline to just snake past them and that they haven't tapped into it at all. Great point.
3: Great point. All right, we'll come back. We'll we'll kick that around with the Sixers, certainly Phillies as well. Are you buying in that this is a legitimate turnaround that they're on their way? That we're seeing right now, you know, kind of what you saw last year around this time when they changed managers. Here comes the run. I do want to get into Aaron Nola. We kind of glossed over it, but I do want we to get did, into yes. that uh, as well, Mike. We got a lot to do for sure. Scott Lauber coming up at noon. From the Enquirer, he's out in Oakland. Uh, Scott with some great stuff on, on Twitter, some great uh, stats, which I'll, I'll give you some of those uh, before we get to Scott as well. So a lot of ground to cover when we come back. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Rob Ellis in for Glenn Macnow. WIP Sports Time is 1043. All right, here's the good news. The Phillies came back in that game, Mike. They and did. Won. That was they the did. series finale in Arizona, the afternoon game. And welcome back in everybody. Mike Sealski, Rob Ellis, hanging out with you on this gorgeous Saturday, Father's Day weekend. Hope you're having a great weekend, and hope you have a great weekend. But so, uh, Aaron Nola gives up that that three run shot. Now, I will say this to his credit: he settled in. Mm-hmm. He did, there was no further damage. Uh, he got you into the seventh, and Phillies bullpen did their job, and and the bats answered right back the next half inning. Okay? It doesn't
1: count though, Rob, because while the Arizona Diamondbacks are a good team, they were playing like a bad team against the Phillies. So the wins don't really matter.
3: No, Mike. No. Okay. I will not accept that. Okay. All right. So anyway, um, you know, he ends up going six and I think it was six and a third or six and two thirds. He gives up four. We know it has not been a good year for Aaron Nola. That's an understatement.
1: It's been a weird year. It's been a weird year. I was just looking at the numbers and this gets back to what we were just talking about, about freak outs. Yeah. Okay. Now. Aaron Nola's numbers so far this season, 6-5, and five, 4.66 ERA. He leads the league in innings pitched. Uh, he's faced more batters than anybody. He's not been excellent. Nobody would say otherwise. He's basically having the same season that he had two years ago right. in 2021 where he was 9-9, nine and nine, his ERA was 4.63. He did not have a good season. Does that mean he can't, he's going to pitch like this the whole year? I don't know. But this is who Aaron Nola is, and I'm in some ways kind of puzzled by the frustration over him. Like, he's going to have a really good year once in a while. Otherwise, he's just going to show up every five days, and when he's good, he's really good, and he gets these innings where he just kind of loses it. All right, you'll appreciate this comp
3: as a hockey guy. Okay. He's Claude Giroux. Ooh, very I
1: talented. I haven't thought about it in those terms uh,
3: has been, uh, if you just said, uh, if you said somebody did Claude drew, have a very good, uh, flyers career. Absolutely. Unequivocally. He did. Mm-hmm. Did Aaron Nola have a really good Phillies career if it ends after this season? Yes, he yeah. did mm-hmm. as much as people want to, want to dump on him, but there's either something legitimately sort of missing there, even though Aaron Nola got to, well, drew did when he was a, a kid, got to a finals. Yes. Too. Um, there's something a little bit off, w- 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 a-, a disconnect with the fan base with these people. And I think with Nola, it is, for, I mean, when you give up home runs in 11 consecutive games, you're saying, how is that possible for a guy who's this accomplished? Yeah. You're also, I think the, the big thing this year is, Mike, more than anything else, it's, it, it appears to be either pitch clock related or out of the stretch. I don't know what, but it's I think clearly it, he's a different guy. I
1: think it's both. Yeah. And I think in an odd way. The fact that he has been so open about the fact that the pitch clock bothers has him, him. Has hurt him. Has him with the fan base and maybe gotten opponents looking at him and saying, okay.
3: Certainly umpires. I mean, after that, you know, yeah. the, the previous start where he's not, he's, he's catching a ball and just throwing it back. Like, come on, dude, at least fake it a little
1: bit. Yeah, uh, that he's showing an Achilles heel, yeah. you know, a sign of weakness here. Look, I like Aaron Nola a lot. Uh, every time I've dealt with him personally, he's been terrific. I think in some ways he's underrated around here. I think the fact that he had such a terrific 2018 season, you know, his third or fourth year in, he's third in the Cy Young voting. You think he's hitting his stride, and this is, this is the guy he's going to be forevermore. And he hasn't been that guy. He just hasn't uh, set some people off. And I think they also see how well he pitched, for instance, against the Cardinals and the Braves early in the postseason last year when he was absolutely dominant and terrific. And then you see the fall off against the Padres and the Astros and you say, well, this guy can't do it in the clutch. And you draw all kinds of conclusions about him. Let's see. It's frustrating to me, too, just as a baseball fan, to watch him because I'll see – Him drop two curveballs in to get a guy. He looks unhittable,
3: and then can't put him away. Right, and it's a lot. It's weird because a lot of the damage is two strikes. A lot of the damage is two outs. When he he's cruising, he'll give you three innings where he just looks dominant, and all of a sudden, it's the kind of stuff that happens for like rookies, where where the wheels just come off and you can't get it back. Yeah, and it shouldn't be happening to a veteran like this. And I think people are also frustrated. Like you knew the whole off season, you knew knew all throughout spring training, this was coming. Like they're like. Figure it out. I mean, everybody else seems to have figured,
1: or most people have figured it out. Yeah, the the, the Drew comp is interesting, uh, if only because Nola was the best starting pitcher that the Phillies had for a long time, just like Drew was the best player that the Flyers had for a long time. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean that if that guy is your best of something, yeah. that you're going to succeed. And that's
3: not that guy's fault. It's just the reality of the team that exactly. that, that guy's been on. Yeah. Exactly. Let's get Jim in the Northeast. Jimmy, you're on 94 WIP. Hey, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. What's Hi, up, Jim? Jimmy.
0: Um, all right, I got one, one quick question, then I'm going to let you answer that and then throw a couple points out. Um, all right, Bryce Harper, is he available to play in the field yet? Not yet, not
3: yet. Okay. Uh, they're they're, they're gonna... saying potentially after the All-Star break, but that's not even a lock, Jim. We don't know yet.
0: Okay, because my point was I wanted to have him at first base. I love Schwarber, but get him the hell out of left field. <laughs> and yeah, keep Pache at center, and Marsh, move him over. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, but Noah my God, if you took away every – if you took every pitcher in the league, took one inning out of, like, their stats, his ERA would probably drop by three and a half and everybody else by maybe, like, a half.
1: Yeah, it, it, but, it, um, it is remarkable how he just tends to implode in one inning, and if you take that inning out, you'd think, this is Greg Maddox. <laughs>
0: Exactly, and then with this pitch clock, um would you guys would would you want to add like maybe like ten seconds or seven seconds? My point is, number one, I love Team Steel. I'm blown away that we don't run as much. I think we have so many opportunities, we just don't do it. But at the same time, like when a guy like Noah, his problems tend to be when he gets into the windup, as Ruben brought up the other day uh, during the game. But when you're pitching. With the pitch clock, you don't have like ample time to really check the guy at first and throw you know, it like place really.
1: Here's what I think, Jimmy. I think this is a fluid situation yep. for Major League Baseball. Um, mm-hmm. I think that what they want to do in the short term, and thank you so much Thank you, call. Jim. Appreciate it. It was buddy. a really good call with really good questions. Uh, I think what they want to do in the short term, Rob, and this is a cliche, and I'm part of the reason that this is a cliche now, I'd like to think is that they want to change the culture of baseball. Mm-hmm. Over time, it got to be that players made the game slow. Yes. Guys stepping out of the box. Pitchers taking as much time as they possibly could. Steve Traxell, human yeah, rain delays. between pitches. Nomar yeah. Garcia-Para playing yeah. with his batting gloves. And that became the norm over time. And I think they want to change that. And the only way to do that is to kind of mandate it from on high and hold these guys to it for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Now I think they're going to take a look at this year after year after year and say, okay, how do we tweak it so that there are more stolen bases, or you address kind of the gaps and blind spots in the rules now and the and the loopholes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with Arenola like asking for a new baseball yeah. to buy time. But what they want to do is get players playing in a rhythm and keep that rhythm because that's how baseball used to be played. Yeah. And. Games used to be two and a half hours, and I think they like the fact that it has sped up the game. They just got to kind of iron over some of the wrinkles.
3: Well, I, I, I had Larry Anderson on my uh, YouTube show, Sports Take, which you've been kind enough to, to mm-hmm. jump on a lot. You're a great a great cast. show. Thanks. Uh, but one of the things that he had to say, Mike, which I thought was interesting, why is a batter allowed to have a timeout per at-bat? And mm-hmm. the pitcher is not. Now, he, Larry wasn't even saying for every hitter. He said once an inning, a pitcher should get a timeout where he doesn't have to fake the, the give me a new ball thing. It's just. Need a timeout for a second. So mm-hmm. you got runners on second and third, and there's two outs, and he wants to gather his thoughts for a second. Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. I do too. And I think it's the kind of thing like you're talking about, where it it, it could very well in the off season be implemented by Rob Manfred and his crew, and I think that's something we may see next year. But they had to tighten the screws yeah. this year to get these guys in the mindset of this is what it is. But yeah, it, it'll be tweaked. It's fluid, very I, much.
1: Look, so. I, I've used this example before, Rob. But a couple of years ago, I was home at my parents' house on a Saturday afternoon, and they had a nationally televised baseball game on, Tigers, Twins, something like that. And I was scrolling through my Twitter feed, and I came across a video of Steve Carlton pitching for the Phillies against Keith Hernandez when he was with the Mets Mm. in 1983. And quite literally, Carlton on that video was throwing two pitches for every one pitch that was being thrown in the game (laughs) on TV. That's how much faster the game back then was moving. Now, Steve Carlton worked fast. He got the ball and threw it. But that's generally what the sport was like back then, mm-hmm. and that's what the sport has become this year because, as you said, they are hammering down these rules. Yeah, Nolo doesn't like it. I'm sure there are people who are fans who don't like it right now. But the whole point of it is to get the game moving because it was losing people with how slow yes. it was. And
3: people love what's happening right Yeah, now. they do. 215-592-9494. All right, we come back, Mike. We will get into our topic of de uh, jour of the day, uh, our side topic, which is related to uh, what we're watching, which mm-hmm. we're going to get to in a little bit. Uh, we have Scott Lauber at noon. We've got a lot in store for you. We'll, we'll continue with the Phillies discussion, the Sixers. We haven't even gotten into the Eagles. We will do that also. So a lot more to do. He's Mike Sealski, I am Rob Ellison for Glenn Now WIP Sports Time is 11 o'clock.
1: Eleven o'clock hour on WIP. Mike Sealski here with my friend Rob Ellis, who just got up here in the studio, and this this segues us nicely, I think, Rob. into— Well, uh, I've been in the studio since the start of the show.
4: No, let's, no, no, not, I,
7: I, let's
1: I, not portray I, it that way. Okay, I, I, I
3: stood up from my
1: chair because I'm so lazy I don't get up during the breaks. He was moving around the studio <laughs> during the break, and this segues nicely into a topic we were going to discuss. Kind of use that as a, as a springboard out of what we're watching coming up at eleven twenty five, but we can get into this now. Mm-hmm. So the reason Rob got up and moved around the studio was because we have two television sets here in the studio, which are usually tuned to sporting events or Sports Center or something along those lines, uh, and they weren't; those programs weren't on the TVs. Mm-hmm. And so Rob got up and put on TNT, and lo and behold, <laughs> what is on TNT? But quite possibly the greatest movie ever made, Jaws. Yes. Which I think holds the record with the Shawshank Redemption of being rerun on TNT and TBS and AMC more than any other movie. Uh, Roadhouse
3: had a bit of a run. But they it, did. It, 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 it did. But it paled in comparison. Yeah, yeah, it's not nearly as good no. as either of those two. No, movies. no, I'm just saying in terms of t- TNT cranking it. R- yeah, cranking it. Yeah. So
1: the, the reason we bring this up is that we're going to get into this a little bit in what we're watching, but we wanted to throw it out there a little bit sooner and, and give it two hours to breathe. Jaws, of course, is one of the greatest, most popular movies ever made, directed by Steven Spielberg, who has made several of the greatest, most popular movies ever made. So the question Rob and I had uh, for you guys to kind of weigh in on, and you can reach us, of course, at 215-592-9494 is, is there an actor or a director, or even a musical artist, I'd say, that when they produce something, a piece of content, a movie, a TV show, an album, a new song, you are going out to consume it and buy it and watch it or listen to it immediately just because that person is involved in it. This gets to what we were talking about earlier in the show, Rob, about kind of the fracturing of media you know, everybody's not tuning in to NBC on Thursday nights anymore to watch the lineup of sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Everybody's doing their own thing at their own time. But are who are the stars, these standouts who immediately draw people in, no matter what? Is there someone for you, Rob, who comes to mind? I can give you one in music and one in the uh, entertainment field, meaning movies,
3: TV. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll give you, is, am I cheating? Can I? Can, can no. I do go that? ahead. Okay. Uh, for as far as movies slash actor, it, it's not necessarily a director for me, although I will watch almost anything Spielberg does mm-hmm. in, in truth. Um, but it's Jason Bateman. Ah, I am a huge Jason Bateman fan. I think he's funny. Mm-hmm. I think he can do drama. Uh, I think he's he is one of those guys to me who has a presence and I find him just fascinating on screen.
1: Okay. And I think
3: he's a very good director too. And he directed a bunch of Ozarks mm-hmm. and, and other stuff as well. He's really stretched himself out over the yeah. last
1: fifteen to twenty years.
3: And his his podcast, it's called Smartless mm-hmm. with Will Arnett and Sean Hayes, is freaking hilarious. Okay. Okay.
1: My wife listens to it on occasion and yeah. I have not, and I probably ought to start. I uh,
3: so he's my he is if if, if like I watched Air, which mm-hmm. he's in, he plays a prominent role in Air, the Ben Affleck Matt mm-hmm. Damon movie, which I thought was great. Ozark, obviously, but there's so many things that he's done over the years. I I used to watch him on a show called It's Your Move in the mid-'80s. Oh, my gosh, Rob. It was a one-hit wonder. It was done after a season. Uh, I'm going uh, way back. Yeah, I
1: have no recollection of that that show at all, and I'm a child of the-'80s, too.
3: Yes. All right, so there's Jason Bateman. Now, as far as music goes, anything that Bono is involved in, and I just finished his book, which Uh is Surrender, which is excellent. Uh, Anything Bono slash U2, I'm in. I will. I will listen to. I will
1: consume. In the book, does he offer any explanation for why the Edge only knows like two or three chords? Are you making fun of Edge? <laughs> Is that not on my watch, pal? Okay, no, Sorry. dude. We're, we're about so, to throw down here in the WIP studios. Go there, Sealski. over the Joshua How
3: Tree. Dare you?
1: <laughs> oh my God! I, I will re- reveal my pop culture connections uh and my draws later on in the show okay let's go to joe (laughs) in williamstown who has some thoughts on the pitch clock joe you're on with rob and mike how are you guys doing today doing great
5: good good um so i just had a quick question is there a clock from when the catcher throws it back to the pitcher
3: the clock begins at the umpire's discretion yes but it's generally there yes
5: it's usually when the pitcher catches the ball, correct? That's, yeah. that's,
3: I
1: believe, what it is supposed to be. Yes, Joe.
5: I was just wondering, because if, if you watch, you can watch pitchers take five to eight seconds off the clock every time from when they catch it to when they get back on the top of the rubber to, you know, start their pitch. And I was just wondering, if Nolan needs an extra five seconds, why doesn't he just get to the top of the mound and then receive the ball back from the catcher so that he has an extra second to breathe Kind of figure out his thoughts and go from there. And I just haven't seen that in a major league game. And I'm just kind of surprised that nobody's tried to kind of find that gray area in the rule to kind of work with that to help him out. Well, I
1: wonder, Joe. And thanks very much for the call. Thank you, Joe. Why not try that if you're JT Romuto? Let's just, just pause a little bit just before you throw it back Just pause a little time. bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe. Good point. Talk. Turn around. Talk to the umpire a little bit. Give Give Aaron Nola a little time on the mound. Maybe. It wouldn't work for Nola because he feels like he has to have the ball in his hand and he's got a routine. Or, or something is the like ump that.
4: saying,
3: "Hey, JT, get it back to him. Like, yeah. let's go." I, I don't. I don't know. Like, that's the thing. That's where it's sort of like it's nebulous. You don't, it's it's kind of a gray area. Exactly it, the way that it works. it is, and
1: it's going to take Aaron Nola some time to get used to this. And and again, my my colleague Marcus Hayes wrote a column about this the other day, kind of basically telling Nola, "Stop whining about the pitch clock. Just deal with it." Uh, and I'm not quite there yet, but I can understand why people feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert in Germantown wants to also talk about the Phillies. Hi, Robert. How are you?
6: I'm doing good, Michael and uh, Rob. Hey, I read your book through its entirety yesterday, the one in Kobe Bryant. Wonderful piece of nice. uh, writing.
1: Thank you very much. I'm, I'm honored that you were able to read it an entire day. That's great. Well, was that good? And Thank you.
6: I guess what I liked about it was that you really went into the whole context. And I guess my, my question and what I wonder if you guys would comment on, you know, what happened to all the enthusiasm for basketball in Philadelphia? Like, you get really into, you know, the Big Five and how important high school championships were not that long ago, 30 years or so back, right? And that's just that's just not part of our reality anymore. Well, I, my theory, Robert, is
1: that the demographics of the city changed. That, for instance, my parents both grew up in the city. They were both Cardinal Doherty alumni. And oh. my dad would take the trolley and to – the palestra to see games when he was an undergraduate at LaSalle. And there were a lot of people in the city like that. You know, the Catholic League was huge. Cardinal yeah. Doherty at the time, just as one example, was the biggest Catholic high school in the world. Uh, yeah, but that, but that, yeah, that generation then moved out of the city. And with each successive generation, those sorts of people are getting removed from the traditions of the Big Five. And then, of course, you have changes just in colleges and universities. There are fewer and fewer undergraduates at those universities who are from Philadelphia, who understand and appreciate the tradition and those programs aren't as strong as they used to be, with the exception of Villanova. And even Villanova took a step backward this past season. So there's a lot that goes into it, I think.
3: Yeah, I would say real quick, my, just my thoughts mm. on it, Robert. Um, mm. The Catholic League finals at the Palestra still sell out. Yep. Um, so there, there, there is still a, a love there for, for, the, for, the, for the high school game college Mike laid it out very well uh where it used to be mm. in the 50s and 60s if you grew up here my god where am I going am I going to Nova am I going to St. Joe's am I going to Temple am I going to LaSalle am I going to Penn if I'm you know I'm a great student etc now it's where can I get the most exposure what's going to give me the best chance to, to make the NBA and and Dewan Wagner's going to Kentucky you know he's not going right. anywhere locally so it's just it's the, the landscape of it has changed
6: quite a bit yeah it's, it's a real pity I mean I I was in graduate school in Indiana in Elkhart, Indiana, is where I went, and uh, they had a high school gym that sat ten thousand seats because they would have back then. They had one statewide tournament; they didn't have divisions, and um, that gym was sold out every Friday night. I'm not sure if it still is. It'd be an interesting question to go back to. That's a book for you, Mike. Indiana <laughs> high school basketball. Uh, you know what,
1: such- Robert? I'm al- I'm already working on one, and you know. First of all, thank you so much for the call. Um, I'm already working on one. I've got to get it finished, and then we'll see if my wife lets us move to Indiana. I would bet against see you in Indiana. It would work. Yeah. Oh, Go I, I look send like... the kids to Hickory High School. <laughs> <laughs> get it all. Five how, passes. How many passes? Four. Exactly. Four. Uh, John from Annieunk wants to talk about the Phillies. Hey, John. Hey, what's up, Rob? Mike. Hi, John. Uh,
5: we were I was one of the guys at the game last Sunday who came by and knocked on your, uh, in the booth and you and I, at, uh, <laughs>
3: me and Adam Al, you got to see Al up close and personal. Al in the fishbowl. That is special.
5: I know. I know. It's incredible. But, uh, on the Phillies, on the fifth starter, I actually just looked on the internet here. They're saying that, um, Andrew Painter, like is starting to pitch in a bullpen and maybe he can come up in late July, August. You know, so I would just wait it out. I don't think you should really try to trade for anyone. I know that these these bullpen stars are bad, but I would wait it out. And I wouldn't try to trade for Goldschmidt either. I think that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, look, Dave Dombrowski is a seasoned, experienced general manager, and he knows what he can get and what he ha- would have to give up to get something to help this team. And I understand the hesitation that certain fans have and media have when you're talking about maybe bringing up someone from the farm system, but you see teams do it often, Rob. Mm -hmm. And the Phillies have some options down there, assuming Painter gets hurt. You know, Dombrowski still talks like it's possible Painter will pitch this season, but there are other options, and we're going to get into them with Scott Lauber at noon, but I don't know your thoughts on that, I I view Painter... Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Well, appreciate it. I I view Painter, Mike,
3: as gravy. If you get it, great. If you don't, I'm not expecting anything. I mean, it's been... He got hurt in March, and he's thrown, I think, two bullpens, and we're in now almost late June. Yeah. So if you get something great, I'm not expecting it. Dombrowski's aggressive, so mm-hmm. I have no doubt that he will do something to address this at some point. You know, I think he'd rather do it sooner, uh, but he's in a tough position right now. As far as Goldschmidt goes, I, I don't poo-poo it. I mean, you talking about an MVP, sure. right? But if they're legitimately thinking Harper's going to play first base, I I just don't know that they want to add that kind of payroll to this team.
1: Yeah, and what are you giving up to get Paul Goldschmidt?
3: Yeah, I mean, short of pain, you, or are you are you are you, are you cleaning out the McGarries and the Abels
1: and and everybody else? Right. I, I don't like if it takes that. I don't like that idea of that at all. Um, so to shift gears a little bit, we mm-hmm. wanted to we wanted to kick around an Eagles topic here, mm-hmm. and and you had, I think, Rob. Uh, on your YouTube show, considered kind of a big-picture question about the Eagles, which, I mean, they're kind of regarded now as, for lack of a better way of putting it, the gold standard in town, certainly one of the elite franchises in the NFL. And I think, if I get this right, the question you were asking was, is anything less than a victory in the Super Bowl this coming season going to be viewed as a disappointment, both by them and by the fan base? Yeah. How do you come down on that? Because I don't, I don't look at it that way, but I can understand why people would.
3: I say as we sit here right now, Mike, with everyone healthy, knowing what we know, and doing it on June 17th and asking this question, anything short of winning it is disappointing. Mm. Now, there are varying layers to this. Jalen Hurts gets w- hurt week 3 right. and you gut it out and somehow get to a Super Bowl and lose. There's no disappointment in that. There's mm-hmm. no you get to the playoffs, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Injuries are an X factor that can change the, the the landscape of this. But if you stay relatively healthy as healthy as you were last year and you don't win it, I mean, th- the point of every season is to get better. And you, that you took an unbelievable step last year. You lost by 3 points in a Super Bowl to a dynastic kind of team. Yep. There's no sh- no crime in that, for sure. And you went from losing in a wild card, getting killed in a wild card, to a Super Bowl. It's an unbelievable
1: leap. But yeah, it's time to win it. See, I don't quite look at it that way. I think, number one, the fact that they are, and they're not paying him this yet, but the fact that you've committed to Jalen Hurts the way that you have, pardon me, necessarily sets up this dynamic where there are going to be certain years where you can go, quote-unquote, all in more than others. And I think this is not one of those years. I think the fact that you lost some veteran guys, the Javon Hargraves, the fact that you're counting so much on younger guys to fill in those spots, you're not, you know, are you sure about N'Kobe Dean at linebacker? You know, what is Jalen Carter going to give you? You know, Davis, all these guys Mm -hmm. who they need to step in. I think the reasonable expectation is you make the playoffs and kind of hope for the best. Uh, To me, this isn't one of those years where you say to yourself, boy, if they don't make the Super Bowl and win it, it's a disappointment. I just feel like after you've gotten to the Super Bowl and gotten that close, as as much as everybody could taste it, the realistic way to look at it is say, they're probably not going to get back there. And if Boy, you, good luck selling it to know, an Eagles fan. I know, I They get bounced in the
3: second round after going to the Super Bowl last year and they're not going to be disappointed?
1: I, I'm not suggesting that they won't be or shouldn't be disappointed. I'm just telling you how I'm looking at it. I got you. Yeah. With a little bit of a detachment. I get it. Look, people are always disappointed every time. They, every yeah. year the Eagles don't win the Super Bowl. Totally get it. And in some ways, they're going to be the prisoner of their own success. True. Because now that they're this good, now that they've gotten back, there's going to be an expectation that they should be back there just about every single right. year. So
3: my counter is, and, I, and you make great points about the defense and the unknown. There's a lot of unknown. Uh, you, know, you have new coordinators. You have new position coaches. Yep. You have, you're, you're counting on N'Kobe Dean and, and Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, et cetera, uh, you know, maybe even Nolan Smith. So there's definitely new faces, but when you bring back Fletcher Cox at ten million, when you have AJ Brown at what he's making, you know Devontae Smith, a runner-up MVP, an offensive line that's still arguably the best in football, three guys coming back double-digit sacks. When you have all of that, your expectation is to to get there. When Howie, when, yeah. when Howie's you know pulling rabbits out of his hat to keep James Bradbury here and 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 you know restructure uh, Slay, yeah, you're you're going for it, man. You're going for yeah. it. Yeah,
1: <clears throat> I'm not doubting that they are. I yeah. just think that. Uh, this is one of those years where the the reasonable expectation is they're probably not going to get there. Whereas mm-hmm. last year, I thought, yeah, they're probably not going to get there, but if Hurts is better, yeah. they could. This would be like, boy, I feel like more has to go right. For well, the other back. thing that, that you have to take into account is the history. The yeah. history
3: of simply getting back to a Super Bowl is right. such a struggle for either the team that wins it or the team that loses. Yeah. yeah. It, it
1: is – daunting yeah unless yeah, you've yeah, got frankly. tom brady in his prime it's really going to be tough yeah so, and
3: on top of it mike winning the division back-to-back hasn't happened since what 0405 yeah you know the giants, the
1: giants are getting a little bit better the cowboys still have a lot of talent washington's yeah. not terrible if they get decent quarterback play they're dangerous too yeah we'll see if they get decent quarterback play. yeah that's I'm not a big sure if that's going to happen anyway we can keep talking about that uh next segment we've got what we're watching coming up we of course want you guys to weigh in on who is an actor or a director or a musical artist whose creativity and, and content you just, you're in? No matter what they produce, no matter what they do, you're buying the record, you're going to see the movie. Uh, we've been kicking around the Phillies, we're kicking around the Sixers. I have some kind of nostalgic and kind of sad Eagles news, a story that I want to get into. We can, of course, take all your calls at 215 592 9494. Rob Ellis and Mike Sealski on WIP. Are you, Are you not
6: entertained? It's time for What We're Watching. That's what I do. I drink and I know things.
0: The best in current movies
3: and TV. Boy, that escalated quickly. I am a golden god! Rob Ellison for Glenn MacNeil, hey
1: Mike Silver. Hey, Michael, come here. Let me look at you. Michael! Hey, Mikey! Ricky! Pretty, pretty good. Some nifty producing there by Dan Wilson. Bill Wilson's of on fire. <laughs> what we're watching is sponsored by Guide a Door and Window. Receive 20% off all windows and doors with no money down and up to three years to pay off interest-free. Call Guide a Door and Window today at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit uida.com Rob Ellis, let's talk about Michael J. Fox.
3: Yeah, let's do it. Um, first of all, one of my favorites, like, all time. Love
1: them. Love them. Love the fact that when I was in high school and college, I would have the occasional girl come up to me and say, you remind me of Alex P. Keaton. Mm-hmm. I, I just, that was great. Wow. I, I had it she, back she then, Rob. A, I lost had, it. She had a great voice, that, 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 that gal. <laughs> I had it back then, and I don't have it anymore. <laughs> did you ever get anywhere with that? or yeah, Did that I, ever I'm work not, out for you? I'm not one to kiss and tell. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. Um,
3: no, huge, huge fan. and I And I saw... I was—I forget I was—I I think it was when I was watching Ted Lasso or whatever. I was on the fire stick and flipping around a little bit. And I saw the—I don't even think you say flipping around anymore on that, but uh, no.
1: I saw—I saw. I, saw I was doc- locked into my streaming, whatever it happened. Yeah, to be whatever that the
3: terminology day. is, but I saw uh, the documentary Still, which is Michael J. Fox, mm-hmm. and uh, watched it last uh, last Saturday, I believe I watched it, my wife and I, and it was um, compelling. It was real. It was incredibly well produced and done and edited. I mm-hmm. thought the editing was spectacular. And I'm not one to, to be really artsy-fartsy with this stuff, but I thought it was it was incredible. I thought he has... A, it makes you really, really feel compassionate for his plight. Yeah. But he's also got a great spirit about him. Um, I, I think it was Mike, ten thumbs up, man. I thought it was incredibly well done.
1: So, I think you make a great point of, at the start, which is people do forget Unless you were alive at that time, and kind of, as we said earlier, a child of the 80s, it's hard to appreciate how big Michael J. Fox was. First, as the star of this television show. The show
3: that was must-watch.
1: must, must watch. Oh, the show that was must-watch. Sorry, Dan. Um, Family Ties. Um, there we go. You heard that theme... The every, painting. The painting. Every Thursday night at 8.30 on NBC, it was The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers. Cheers. Then Night Court, and after a while, Seinfeld, mm-hmm. uh, before Seinfeld really became popular. Yeah. And that show was gigantic. He was playing a character who was a Reaganite in the middle of the Reagan administration. <laughs> and they were hippies, the and, mom and, and dad. the mom and dad were yeah. hippies, and it, it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then in 1985... While he's got one of the biggest shows on television, he ends up starring in the, I believe, the two biggest movies of Mm -hmm. that year. Mm -hmm. Number two was Teen Wolf, (laughs) which is not a particularly good movie, but (laughs) is nostalgic in everybody's minds. Mm -hmm. Uh, And number one was a movie that I think just about everyone of a particular generation knows. of course, we're talking about Back to the Future. Yes. And if you were 10 years old in 1985 like I was, you thought Marty McFly was the coolest guy you would ever encounter. Like, I want to skateboard like that guy. A vest? Yeah, I want to wear a life vest. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm going to go to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, the Uh whole nine yards. And so Michael J. Fox was a mega star. And then, as you said, Rob, this documentary is still on Apple TV. The way that it's done, they tell the story of him dealing with Parkinson's and his rise through Hollywood using clips from his movies and TV shows that have been spliced together in a way that make you think it's actually footage of Michael J. Fox Mm -hmm. when it's actually a clip from Back to the Future 2 or The Secret of My Success. But it tells the story in such a unique and compelling way. I loved it, and I came away with a lot of admiration for him uh, for being able to kind of persevere through mm-hmm. his illness I would recommend that documentary to anybody yeah. and if you haven't if you're listening to the show and you're younger than like for age 45 and you haven't seen Back to the Future yet watch it what are you waiting for yes. go watch that movie it's amazing well and the other thing that it's really it's it's crazy. I mean, it, it,
3: generally, not all the time, but generally, Parkinson's is something that that occurs for people much older. Yeah. And, and Michael J. Fox was in his late twenties when this started. I mean, right at, at sort of like when he had hit the zenith, like he when he was, it was right. A, it was after Back to the Future, but like late eighties, early nineties, when he was just on a on a rocket ship, mm-hmm. and it, it all started with a pinky, yeah, pinky shaking. He was ah, no, I'm hungover. He would talk about that. He was he was out partying the night before, and he woke up and he's kind of what is that? Like, yeah. And then, you know, one thing led to another.
1: Yeah, it was that was one of the more interesting parts of the documentary to me, was that he hit his his high point, as you said, and his career kind of sloughed off. And that regression coincided, A, with the diagnosis, and kind of B, his reaction to it. He right. started drinking a lot, mm-hmm. uh, partying a lot. He's, the movies he's making aren't very good. And it's only when he kind of reconciles himself to, okay, I have this disease. I have to deal with it. And he gets uh, a comeback role in this sitcom called Spin City, where he's playing kind of the chief of staff of this bumbling New York mayor. Uh, That shows a hit, and his career comes back, and then he tells everyone. Mm -hmm. But to see some of the things that he did to hide the fact that he had Parkinson's, where he would be shooting a scene in a movie, and he'd be twirling a pen in his left hand because his hand was going to move anyway, and if he didn't have something in his left hand, Everyone would not wonder what was going on. Carrying a briefcase. And, and
3: literally, the director, the producers didn't even know. Like, he, it wasn't just the audience. It wasn't, it, it was everybody, you know, other than he and his family. They were unaware of what was going on. And he was,
1: imagine, like, it's got to be hard enough just to act. Yeah. And
3: you got to figure out, all right, how can I conceal this? How can I hide this? And it, it, it's really well done.
1: Yeah. If you're familiar at all with Michael J. Fox and his career and his work, you absolutely should watch this. It's called Still, it's on Apple TV. I think Rob and I both give it four stars. Yeah, it made
3: 381 million, uh, the highest grossing film of 1985. It, back to the future. Back to the future. Hey, Biff.
1: <laughs> Get Biff. your damn hands off, off of her. Off
3: her. Um and Biff, by the way, a Radner high school graduate. Is that right? Yes.
1: You're kidding me. I am not kidding you. That explains why he was such a jerk throughout oh, that whole movie. Oh. <laughs> Just well, saying. Radner people. <laughs> Get him. Pete from Springfield wants to weigh in on his favorite actor and on the Phillies. Hey, Pete, how are you?
8: Hey, guys. Hey, Mike. Here's the Pete Co. I, I, oh, I'm hey, Pete. You. Yeah. Um. I well, first all, I I got to make a sports point because then get into Michael J. Fox. Um. But uh, I I think I think now we have to start looking at Taiwan Walker as um as being a pretty decent pitcher. He's had a number of decent outings in a row. Yeah, he's um, been terrific. Yeah, and so I I think I think that helps out. On the, on the back end of a rotation as well, that we have somebody that can go out there every, every fifth day, too, as a fourth, and uh, I do very, very well.
1: Yeah, so. no, I, I agree. Like, Rob and I have talked about that throughout the show, that uh, the Phillies have to be breathing a sigh of relief that Walker has pitched this well, uh, that he's gotten himself back on track, that he seems to understand how to handle... The pitch clock and and his own body better uh, and he's conditioning himself better who's your uh who's the actor that you you have pete you just you never miss anything he or she does
8: oh uh, well the funny thing was i heard um was it rob say something about jason bateman before yes I, and, and there's a two degree of separation for jason bateman and um jimmy butler um <laughs> you know they were in the same movie together
1: what movie was that
8: Office Christmas Party.
1: Oh, my office. gosh. Jimmy Butler was in that? I'm trying to remember that.
8: Yes. He, he was the guest star. He was not guest star, but the guest of one of the other coworkers in uh, Jason Bateman's company. And, um, and he comes to this big party, the big office yep. Christmas yeah. party.
1: That's a good that's poll. right, Pete. That, that's a good poll. Thanks man. for the call. That's great. I never would have made that connection. I didn't know Jimmy was in that movie. I totally forgot that. No. Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> Jimmy Butler and Jason Bateman, yeah, six degrees of separation. I guess so. You know, could can Jason Bateman run a pick and roll with Joel Embiid? Uh, it, it he, could... he might come cheaper than James Harden. He probably could have contributed the same
3: amount that Embiid and Harden did in Game Seven. Wow, Bateman. You know, talking what I mean?
1: top rope stuff here from uh, from Ta- the two of us. About telling you, Radner, and about uh, James Harden and Joel Embiid. Yeah, but that's funny, man. Uh, so, all right, so to, to shift gears just a, t- a tiny bit here, Rob, um, I, I wanted to, to throw kind of a Discussion topic, I guess, but one that's a little bit fraught out to you as someone who has covered the Eagles, followed the Eagles, rooted for the Eagles for a long time. There was some news that came out this week, uh, a name that's probably familiar to longtime Eagles fans, Max Runniger, who was the punter on their Mm 1980-81 Super Bowl team. Uh, Runniger died in 2017. He was only 61 years old, uh, and his life had kind of uh, gotten off track. He had gotten divorced. He had a family and a beautiful wife and uh, a thriving NFL career. And then he ended up getting divorced. He was drinking too much. His life kind of fell into disrepair. And he died at age 61 back in 2017. And after his death, uh, his family had his brain sent to Boston University's CTE Center for examination. And as it turns out, Very soon thereafter, the family found out that Runniger, as a punter in the NFL, had suffered from chronic uh, traumatic encephalopathy, the the brain damage and disease that comes from repeated blows to the head. And this just came out this week. Mm. Uh, His son is finally starting to talk about it and about this diagnosis and revelation. And my question to you is, look, I love the NFL. I love professional football. We spend a ton of time talking about it on this radio station. I've spent a ton of time writing about it. You've spent a ton of time talking about it and covering it. Is it getting harder or easier to counterbalance what we know about what football can do with how much we enjoy it?
3: I think it's harder. Um, I can't be as callous and just say, hey, it's what you signed up for, and then see some guy in his 40s who you know needs to be in a... In a, in a living assisted Mm -hmm. you know I I can't I can't just be that cold about it but I Mike I'll tell you I'm hypocritical because I love the NFL I am too and I love a big hit and um you know I I am one that if the NFL went away I would be very bummed about it because I enjoy the sport that much college as well um so I I will I I come at a, at a, a from a place where I will tell you there is a there's a disconnect there for me because I, I, while I it, I liken it to 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 food sometimes like I'll know it's not good for me I, I know I don't want to know where it came from mm-hmm. I'm sure it's bad but I'll eat it anyway but it tastes so it good tastes so good and it's the same way with the NFL um I I hate to see these guys you know Max I remember Max Roniger I was around that team when I was a kid because my dad worked in the ticket office for a couple of years and he was a fun loving. Made time for kids. Herman Edwards was the same way. Hey man, how you doing in school? What's going on? He was that guy. He was, mm-hmm. you got you got to know him and his family and all yeah. that. I hate hearing this kind of stuff and it hurts. Um but there is a degree, I'll be I'll be admit, there is a little bit of me that says, You know the risks, you know, you know the risks that you sign on for. It's unfortunate but it's a reality but but I thought I can't just totally disconnect myself.
1: Yeah, that. I can't either and I think there is a divide between players of Max Runiger's generation who didn't know Yeah. the full nature of what they were doing to themselves. Guys who well,
3: broke it in the 70s didn't know what yeah, the guys in 2020 they, know. They they
1: knew football could cause yeah. damage. They didn't know that it would inf- it could inflict this disease on you mm-hmm. that would cause you um you know, depression personality changes personality mood changes swings. brain damage mm-hmm. all of these sorts of things uh, and of course with CTE only you only find out that somebody has it now uh, after they've died yeah. they can't diagnose it while you're alive so i do th- draw that distinction and every time i'm in that eagles locker room and i end up talking about guys talking to guys about this topic to a man they say we know the risks and we're willing to take them hassan reddick spoke about this last year Uh, Because the topic came up about the the question of quarterback hits, right? That you know was the NFL going soft on quarterbacks? And this is this is professional football, and guys have to get hit and they have to get tackled. And Redick was basically saying, like, look, this is what we signed This is football. Mm -hmm. This is it. We know what could happen to us. We accept that risk and responsibility, and we're getting the benefits in the short term, and we will deal with the long term effects if and when they come around. It's it's such a hard topic, I think, and and. I find it harder, more and more, to kind of reconcile it, and I love football.
3: Here's love one it. thing I'll say: I've talked to so many guys who are either presently playing or retired, and I and I mostly the retired guys. And I'll say to them, "Look, if you had it to do all over again, knowing the risks, would you still do it?" And the un Mike, the the answer is unequivocally: I would say 99.9 percent of the time, yes, I would yeah. do it again. Yeah. So. When I hear that, it, I guess it makes it a little bit easier for me to to, to sort of engage in it and, and because they're saying, I'm doing I would do it. Yeah. I get it. But it it's still, like you see some of these guys, man, yeah. and you see what happens to them at a young age, and they're robbed of their golden years, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, they're potentially robbed of their 30s. I'll give you an example present day. I have a hard time watching Dolphins games because I, every time Tua gets tackled, mm-hmm. I'm holding my breath, and I have yeah. no affiliation with the Dolphins. I don't. Care one way or the other, if they win or lose. But after what that guy went through last year, that he's back out on the field again today or, or this year, I don't, I don't feel right about it. But yeah. it, but it is what it is. He wants to play, yeah. And he's been cleared.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. There are times, and I, I've said this to people, like I've known Ron Jaworski for a while. Yeah. I don't know how that man is walking around, yep, cognizant of where he is, given some of the hits that he took when he was playing yeah. here in Philadelphia. Vicious, violent, oh, multiple man. Yep. Um. Well, look. Coming up, we've got our Cooper Doc segment. Next segment, John, hang in there. I can see you on the line. We will get to your calls. We're talking about the Phillies. We're obviously talking a little Eagles here. We're talking Sixers. We want your feedback on who is the actor, actress, director, songwriter, singer who you are in no matter what they produce. Bruce Springsteen singing Mary Had a Little Lamb. I'm <laughs> downloading that on iTunes. Uh 215-592-9494 with Rob Ellis. I'm Mike Sealski on WIP. Mike Sealski and Rob Ellis back on WIP. Before we get to our Cooper Bone and Joint segment, John from Norristown has some thoughts about Max Runniger and the Eagles. Uh go ahead, John.
5: Hi, Mike and uh, Rob. I really John. appreciate it. Um, you know, I gotta tell you the Max Runniger for me is a little uh that was actually a tough one because uh I don't know if you guys remember, they used to have camp out in Westchester, yep.
4: mm-hmm.
5: and when they did, I remember going as a, as a kid. Uh, I'm probably a little bit older than you guys, but I remember going out there, and I was just, you know, as a young kid, I just, I, I believe it or not, I actually, everyone's following everything else. I, I always checked out the kickers and the punters, and he came over, he was just the nicest guy in the world, and um, it was tough. It's but,
3: true. I mean, and people speak that way when people pass sometimes, but I'm telling but, you legitimately, he was a great guy.
5: He was a great guy. He really was. He gave me a jersey at the time or his practice jersey, and it was really special. But the one thing that I'd want to say, that, and, and, and I guess when that happened because of his position, and guys, listen, I'm not trying to give a hot take
4: mm-hmm. or
5: anything else or controversial, but here's my question, or here's my thought. Considering the fact that, he played in a collision sport, not even a contact sport, a collision sport. But he wasn't necessarily involved in. no, granted, punters do get hit from time to time. Here would be my thought: we're we're only they're only looking at guys who have these problems and looking at their you know their brains, right? To get a full reading on this, and I'm not a scientist, but you know you think about this from an academic or intellectual standpoint. Wouldn't you also have, need to have another like? study the brains of the guys who don't turn, who don't have these hardships later in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like Ron Jaworski, you bring up him. Like if you look at those guys that were on that team, if any guy on that team should be exhibiting those signs, it would be Ron Jaworski. I mean, he got absolutely annihilated by Lawrence Taylor.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. No, no, I, th- I think yeah, you're, no. you're great raising point. A, a great, like great a control point, group
5: on this right. whole study, but
1: yeah, no, you're right. And, and that's something that I think is worthy of, of including in the debate, and we can we're actually going to get Dr. David Gell from mm-hmm. Bone and Joint on here in a second uh, to talk about things from a from a analytical kind of perspective in that regard. And I think John raises a good point. Are you studying the brains of those athletes who don't exhibit overt symptoms while they're alive? You know, you would
3: never think a punter would experience this, and and, and you wonder is this just. Bad luck of the draw, any human being could get it. Well you wonder. C-
1: yeah, C T E is caused people think of it as being caused by uh, you know, one big wallop or one big hit or a concussion. It's actually just repeated Cumulative. And, yeah. Cumulative and repeated trauma over time. And Runiger played started playing football when he was seven and played until he was thirty three. So and he wasn't just a punter as a high school player or a college player. Right. So who knows how many hits he took to that mm. to his head. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, Dr. David Gelt from Cooper Bone & Joint is with us, as he is uh, every other week, and you know Cooper Doc joins us every every Saturday. Uh, hi, Dr. Gelt. How are you?
9: Morning. How are you guys doing today? Hi, Doc.
1: We're, we're doing well. Um, I, I'm curious, I'll start there with your thoughts, if you have any, about the discussion around head trauma and football. Uh, as you probably overheard, Max Runiger, uh, former Eagles punter, was diagnosed actually five years ago with CTE. Nobody just bothered to notice or ask if he had been uh, diagnosed. How do you kind of view the whole discussion around head injuries and head trauma in football?
9: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really a, how much time do we have today to yeah, talk about it. Yeah, I know. It, it's and actually, uh, Henri Richard, I think, just came out too. We he did. passed away, the Canadian uh, hockey player that yes. kind of was off the CTE. So it, it definitely comes out. I think last caller made mention where, you know, it came out a couple of years ago for the study about when CTE first came right. out and the concussion movie came out too. Um, where like 111 out of 112 players were all positive for CTE and NFL. And, you know, it's sort of a, a skewed a little bit just because it doesn't mean that every single person playing football is going to have CTE. It's just right. the players that had these symptoms, they donated their their brains to science just because, as you mentioned, CTE, you can't diagnose until it's post after, after someone dies and you t- and you know, take the sample of the, of the brain so all these people that have had symptoms you know before they died their families so are saying something's going on so they and they sent their brains to science and then they had it uh, checked and they found it the cte so it doesn't mean that every single football player is going to have it again it is a contact score and it's collision and there's lots of cumulative effects of this you know sub-threshold hits over and over and over again and that's what really causes cte is what we're finding um you know we're Working on trying to protect people, I know there's been rules, you know, even for soccer players. You you can't head the ball until you're age 12 um, just because you don't want to start at a young age. Um, You know, football, people are starting to play flag football now a little bit earlier, so maybe you don't have to go to tackle football at age 5 and then start at that age so you don't have, you know, five or six years of cumulative hits beforehand, so... Mm -hmm. It's going to be a, a debate, you know, over and over again. What, what's the best thing? We, obviously, we can't just say no more NFL because it's billions of dollars of, you know, revenue and people's, you know, love the game. Um, you know, do we have to change it or switch the things around? And maybe some differences, but it's a it's a tough uh, road to, or tough line to cross. I would say.
3: Doc, let me ask you, and, and I realize, and we appreciate you you sharing your thoughts because it's not, you know, your expertise necessarily, but. Um, it, will we ever get to a point and the answer may be simply no, because you have to get the biopsy from the brain, but where we could diagnose this for people that are still living to maybe help them. Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes it might just be, well, so-and-so is acting really, you know, crazy or what, you know, and we, 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 we don't know what's going on. Is there a way that you think we could get to that point and understand it, maybe treat it while
9: people are still alive? Yeah, I think so. I mean, with, with science and with, with labs and, you know, there, there are some things in the works, you know, initially there's a uh, brain trauma, especially with uh, army and uh, military, but uh, uh, you take a blood test and you can find some proteins that are elevated. That may be something that'd be concerning. It's, you know, it's more for a significant brain trauma, but I think as we uh, learn more science and learn about what exactly this is, I think we're going to have some other testing. Cause right now with concussions and I see a lot of concussions in my office with, with sports, there's nothing where we can say, okay, you know, you have, you have concussion based on a, a study. You know, MRI is not going to show it necessarily or anything like that. So it's really all based on symptoms right now. But I think eventually we will have something where we can say that, you know, concrete, there's you know, objective data and here's a lab or something like that that we may be able to do something. But right now it's not there, so we just have to base on symptoms and try to keep people safe so that they don't have this problem.
1: Uh, doctor, on a slightly different topic, uh, Andrew Painter, the Phillies pitching mm-hmm. prospect, uh, Through a 20-pitch bullpen session earlier this week and was scheduled to throw one yesterday. I don't know for certain whether he did or he didn't. 20 pitches the other day, 25 pitches yesterday. Is there a way to know where Painter is at in, this prog- in his progress? What is next here? Is it simply a matter of kind of incrementally moving him up, getting to the point where that sprained UCL in his right elbow is back to where it needs to be?
9: Yeah, I think so. I mean, we usually talk about with with athletes, you know, an interval throwing program, and you just ramp up slowly. You know, with him being that he's young and he's such a high prospect for us, do we really want to push it? You know, I, I personally don't think he's going to be coming up. I think he's just going to stay in the minors. But, you know, we'll see if he's the, the number five starter for us. It'd be great. But, again, I don't want to push it either because he has such high hopes. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely, you know, just sort of how he does, how he pitches. If he's not in any pain, then you keep moving forward and keep advancing him.
1: So Dr. David Gell, we're ta- we're tossing around some pop culture questions here. First things first, uh the word is that you went to see a play last night, is that correct?
9: Yeah, my uh, my friend and I we took our our two sons, they're both 13. Um, see so Tommy and me. Uh, never
3: never heard of it.
9: Never heard yeah, of it. Right, exactly, some young exactly. upstart a playwright. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um Unfortunately, Ray wasn't there, but uh it was a it's a great show. I mean, um I definitely recommend it. It's uh it's good for both of my 13-year-old and his uh, friend also liked the lads because they're one of their big sports fans. But it's a great story. Uh, and everybody loves to you know, the, to see their meet their hero and you know the fact that he established a relationship with them and and they had a, a good friendship is you know it's a, a great story. And I'm hoping you know eventually, who knows, it could become a, a Broadway show or even a movie, and we'll see what happens. if Ray will become a, a movie, a, movie a producer as well. Something like
1: that, yeah. Of course, yeah. Tommy and me, Ray didn't just play about his relationship with tommy mcdonald is playing at the bucks county playhouse in new hope go check it out if you haven't yeah, last already week, last weekend. yeah and um and dr Gelt, the last thing rob and i are kicking around actors actresses directors recording artists who
9: y- you gotta you got watch movie. for you must watch must yeah. listen is yeah.
1: there do you have one or two
9: uh, i do i mean he's, he's up in age now so he's not as many movies as that, but I always like. And I think you may have mentioned before Shawshank Redemption. You know, Morgan Freeman's always one that I always mm, like to one. see, and you know, it's not something if I obviously everybody who sees that show on or that movie on TV, you have to stop and watch it.
4: Good man. Um, so no, good man. One,
9: one of them is one of them.
1: Awesome, Dr. David Gelt. Thank you so much for your time. As always, we appreciate it.
9: All right, guys. Have a good
3: weekend. Good All call. Right. there. You too. Too. you too.
1: We, we th- covered a lot of topics with Dr. Gelt. Good babe. call with
3: Morgan Freeman there. Yeah,
1: that's uh, you know. It- I'm I'm not a humongous fan of narration mm-hmm. in movies, but the, the two of the big ones where it works is The Shawshank Redemption and of course Goodfellas oh. with Ray Liotta. Yes. I mean it just it's <laughs> it's amazing. Let's get in one call before we hit the break here. Dominic in Cherry Hill uh has some thoughts on the Sixers and Flyers. Hey Dominic, what's up?
10: Hey guys, how's it going? Good. Good talking to you guys. Um so, I mean with the Sixers, uh I really think right now, when it comes down to it, like Harden for two years just I can't I can't do it with Harden. Like I'm I'm out on Harden. <laughs>
3: Better hope it's and, two years with Daryl yeah. Morey pulling the trigger. Exactly.
10: And so then and I don't want Beal and I've been going through these options. Why don't I know this sounds nuts, but like why don't we trade Embiid and just restart this thing, man? Like get the picks back. You know, and and kind of just surround people with build around Max. I mean, I the 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 mentality of Maxi has the potential to be a leader. I'm not saying he could be a, a fantastic player. I'm not saying he's going to reach Embiid's level, but I do think the leadership thing is starting to take its toll. And Embiid right now, it just seems like he comes up short in those areas. And at that point, when you see someone like Hurts and Embiid character wise, what a difference! And it, it's just I don't I don't have faith in him anymore and it stinks to say that
1: yeah here's the thing Dominic and, and thanks very thanks, much for Tom. the call we gotta hit hit the break I don't think you're trading Joel Embiid you get a talent like that you try to wring every drop out of him I'm not I'm not opposed to the idea of sending James Harden on his way but I'm not trading Joel Embiid.
3: I haven't written Embiid off I am skeptical this is a big year for him yeah uh, but I haven't written. And the other thing is it's a business and if you trade away Joel Embiid those sellouts you have every single night, oh yeah, are going to start going bye bye, and and don't think for a second that that doesn't come into the thought process. Yeah, and when you're and discussing. Look,
1: this. I love Tyrese Maxey too, but he hasn't shown he's a centerpiece
3: player, and he has limitations. Yeah. And I love him too, but you know he's a he's a smaller two guard, and that presents problems because you need a
1: one that's big and that can defend because he doesn't defend either. Yeah, coming up after the break, Scott Lauber from the Inquirer, our Phillies beat reporter, will join us from Oakland to talk about the hottest team in baseball, and we'll continue to take your calls at two one five. 5929494 Rob Ellis Mike Sealski, WIP
3: One of three home runs the Phillies hit last night in Oakland in part leading to that 6-1 win and certainly Taiwan Walker great on the hill for the Phillies joining us right now from Oakland from Northern California does an amazing job covering the fills uh, for the Inquirer. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter, at Scott Lauber. That would be the one and only Scott Lauber. Scott, welcome to the show. Good morning in, in, uh, in
11: Northern California. How are you, Scott? Yeah, I'm doing well. Good morning, guys.
3: Scott, look, a or lot afternoon. to talk about, right? 11 of 13 here, now two games over 500. they They're you know, going for, I think, what is it, their fifth straight series win, if they could win today or tomorrow. If you had to pinpoint one reason they've gotten on this run, what would it be, Scott?
11: Uh so for me it's the starting rotation and um JT Realmuto agrees with me. We talked about it after the game last night and uh he put it about as about as plain as you can. He said um you know, we've built a lineup that that can score runs and uh I think that there was we may have gotten distracted for a little while because Kyle Schwarber was hitting 170 into June and Trey Turner hadn't clicked yet and was been had been disappointing. But I'm like, I think we all expected that the lineup would come around. The offense would produce runs. But admit it, like go back two weeks and you know, when Taiwan Walker was kind of melting down in that game in New York and when Ranger Suarez was struggling to come back uh after missing the first couple of months of the season, and you kind of had to wonder a little bit, right, about the rotation. They already don't have a number five starter. What were they getting in the middle of the rotation? Not a whole lot. Aaron Nola has been inconsistent. So, starting pitching, I think, was really the reason why they had not clicked. They had not run off, you know, eleven out of thirteen as they as they are now, or whatever it is. And uh, and the last two weeks has been much the opposite. Like Taiwan Walker's had three good starts in a row. Suarez has had four good starts in a row. Zach Wheeler's kind of gotten better as things have gone on. So. Um, uh, you know, that to me is the biggest reason, and, and, and Real Muto was sort of saying the same thing last night when I asked him that very same question, like, put your finger on why this is happening, and he said, look, we know we've got an offense that's going to score runs, but the way we're built, you know, we're built with a rotation full of experienced guys with track records, and when they get on a roll at the same time, that's when you can rip off 11 out of 13 or something like that. So I think that is the overriding reason why they've they've gotten hot, gotten back over 500, and are looking more like the team that everyone thought they were.
1: Scott, you wrote today and have talked about before about the fact that Walker basically got himself into better shape or changed his conditioning regimen, and that's a big part of the reason why he has pitched better of late. How did he know to do that? Did something come up from a pitching coach, from a trainer? How did he know that, okay, I've got to shift what I'm doing between starts, and things will get better
11: yeah it's a great question mike so he's been he was kind of an enigma uh the first couple of months because he wasn't hurt and he kept saying i'm not hurt and it would have almost been better if he was because that would have explained why he was pitching the way he was the why um it just wasn't coming together for him and and there was really no answer and you know his velocity would come and go and i remember that start in new york he talked kind of again sort of sort of puzzlingly about like I just couldn't get my body loose but I'm not hurt nothing's wrong with me and you know to to talk to him about it he said like this is something he's done in the past when he was with the Mets um, he and Marcus Stroman would go out a lot and just take ground balls just run around um, do things in the outfield maybe they'd go over and play first base when the infielders were doing drills and take throws over at first and just to kind of get their bodies loose feel like athletes again, um, you know, and, and I don't know. Like, it's a first for me. I mean, I've been covering baseball for 18 years, and it's the first time I've ever really heard a pitcher talk about turning around his season because he goes out and takes ground balls. But, hey, look, whatever works, right? Yeah. And it's 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 helped loosen him up. It's helped uh, him get a little bit more power um, on his fastball. He doesn't feel as stiff anymore. Um, you know, and look, I said to a number of guys last night, including Taiwan Walker, I said, I know, you know, He's talked about what he does between starts. It can't be that simple, right? It can't be as simple as, well, now he goes and runs around the outfield, but, but you know, before a bullpen session, and all of a sudden, he's a much better pitcher. And and everyone to a man said, yeah, it kind of is that simple. Like he's just kind of, he's he's gotten back to this routine he did before, and and it's um it's worked for him. And hey, if he thinks it's made a difference, uh, it certainly uh, appears to have made a difference in in his power, uh, in his stamina. I mean, he went eight innings last night, completed the eighth inning for the first time since 2017. So obviously he's feeling pretty good out there on the mound and uh, insisted all along he wasn't hurt. But I guess, you know, Rob Thompson's theory is that maybe the World Baseball Classic has something to do with it. I know people don't want to hear that. And they roll their eyes at it. And, you know, big deal. But I'll tell you what. I was in Miami for the finals of the WBC, and you remember in the semifinal rounds, um, Mexico was like three outs away from going to the finals mm-hmm. and they got walked off by Japan and he would have pitched the final against team USA. So instead they get walked off. He goes back to Philly's camp. It had been like 10 or 11 or 12 days between starts for him. He made a couple of starts late in spring. They weren't good. I think his whole spring got disjointed. So, you know, that's Rob Thompson's theory, whatever it is. He certainly seems to be kind of in in his regular mid-season form at this point, and and he's looking, you know, really good. He's looking like the pitcher they thought they were buying when they paid seventy two million dollars to get him.
3: Scott, let's look at this offense. The last thirteen games, six runs per game, basically nineteen home runs. Some of that coincides with Schwarber, you know, becoming June Schwarber, you know, Matt, getting the cape on and doing what he does. Um,
11: this, Do you like June Schwarber or Babe Schwarber?
3: I kind of like Babe Schwarber.
11: Just in June, though. Yeah, just in just June. June, June he yeah. Babe Schwarber. June he Babe Schwarber. How
3: about that? Or Babe style. June Schwarber?
11: Love it, love it. <laughs>
3: um, but is this is this kind of you know finally what we expected here, and it was only a matter of time in, in your
1: estimation?
11: I guess right. I mean, this is who he is, right? And not just the June thing. I mean he's he is a uh, three true outcome hitter in in every sense of the of the you know of the idea um, and. I talked to him a few weeks ago for a little while about um, why the shift or the removal of it uh, has not resulted in more hits for him. And he's a little puzzled by it. Kevin Long is a little puzzled by it. Rob Thompson's a little puzzled by it. Everybody thought, you know, take that defender out of shallow right field and Kyle Schwarber was, was going was gonna, to, you know, not suddenly – he wasn't suddenly going to hit 360 or anything like that, but it was going to add points to his batting average, and it hasn't happened. And, and the more Schwarber talked about it, the more he got around to the idea that, look – He doesn't hit ground balls. That's not his thing. Nobody wants him to hit ground balls through the right side. He's a line drive, fly ball hitter. He always will be. Um, He also doesn't consider himself to be a a pure power, a pure pull hitter. Like he doesn't pull off and yank everything to right field. He tries to use the whole field. So the removal of the shift maybe isn't going to add to his batting average. Maybe he's never going to hit for a high batting average. You could take three fielders off the field and he's still not going to hit for a high batting average but he's going to be a guy who walks a lot and that was something he was doing in the first two months even when he wasn't getting hits he was still drawing his walks he likes hitting out of that leadoff spot even though he's not a prototype leadoff hitter because he sees a lot of pitches he gets on base and when he does connect he pops it out of the ballpark and it's really back to what he's done throughout most of his career and it just so happens that he thinks the season starts in June for some reason because uh, he can't explain why April and May are the way they are, but it's not just this year. It's not just last year. It happened in 2021. So, you know, for whatever reason, it takes him a little bit more more time to get going than other guys. But I think, Rob, you and I were talking a few weeks ago, and you were like, I'm really worried about Schwarber. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the edge. And I said, step back from the ledge, wait until the, end, wait until the end of June, and if he's not hitting at the end of June, then we'll talk. Then you have a reason to worry. And, look, I mean, it's happened again.
1: We're talking to Scott Lauber, Phillies beat reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Scott, you had an interesting piece on Inquirer.com and in the paper the other day dealing with the problems that the fifth starter spot has caused the Phillies. Rob and I talked about this earlier in the show. They are 2-10 this season when Bailey Falter and everybody else who started in that fifth spot has started. Uh, It's really been a drag on them. But you wrote something that proposed a potential solution. What would be your solution to the Phillies' fifth starter woes?
11: Yeah, I mean, so they miscalculated that spot. They really did. They thought that they had the internal uh, answers, whether it was Andrew Painter or Bailey Falter. And uh, a lot of teams have a fifth starter problem. The Dodgers do, the Braves do. And, And what those teams do when they have a fifth starter problem is they reach down into their minor leagues and they go and they find somebody who, who can help them in their, in their upper minors, whether it's Bobby Miller, the kid who shot out the Phillies for five innings or six innings last Saturday uh, at home, or whether it's uh, Jared Schuster in Atlanta. So I went to Reading this week, and one of the reasons I went was you know just to kind of check in on Mick Abel and, and Griff McGarry, but I also wanted to talk to Griff McGarry about his uh his college teammate, who, as it turns out, I didn't know this, but it was, it was actually his college roommate, Andrew Abbott. And if you haven't heard of Andrew Abbott, it's probably only because no, one's, you know, no one pays close enough attention to the Cincinnati Reds. A good young team. Well, Andrew Abbott went out last night, made his third start, shut out, um, I think it was the Astros for six innings, and he's the first pitcher ever um, to begin his major league career with three starts of five scoreless innings or more in each start ever to do that. Now they pitched together at Virginia. They were in the same class. Uh, They're the same age. They're actually like a week apart in age. They're both 24. Uh, They are close enough that uh, one of Andrew Abbott's first calls was a FaceTime to Griff McGarry, who was in the clubhouse in New Hampshire before a game. Um, And he answers the FaceTime and Andrew Abbott's like as giddy as he's ever seen him. And he's like, what's going on with you? And finally he gets around to telling him the Reds called me up. Um, They've been texting throughout the last few weeks and stuff like that. And it got me thinking, like, you know, Andrew Abbott is 24. They have a similar background. They had a similar college career. Griff McGarry actually has better stuff than Andrew Abbott. He just doesn't have quite the command that that Abbott has. Command has always been McGarry's thing. Um, McGarry's like the, you know, everyone considers him like the Phillies' third or fourth best prospect. Abbott was sort of the same boat with the Reds, their fourth or fifth best prospect. So, you know, the time is never going to be exactly right to call up a guy like Griff McGarry, it's, there's always going to be a question. Like, is he going to be able to command the ball? Is he going to be able – is he going to walk too many guys? But the Phillies are kind of in a position, and the bar is so low in that, that starter spot where maybe the time has come to say, all right, let's take uh, – let's let's give the opportunity to him now, uh, kind of like the Reds have done with Andrew Abbott, and say, like, can he handle this right now? And if it doesn't work, you send him back to Triple um you know, to kind of refine it a little bit more. doesn't always work the first time around. But, you know, I sort of wondered about it. And then, of course, Griff McGarry goes out last night in Reading and walks six guys in two innings and probably uh, doesn't do himself any favors in terms of putting himself, like, right there at the doorstep getting called up. But you do wonder whether the Details,
1: should... Scotty, details.
11: <laughs> exactly. Like, let's just ignore that. That didn't happen last night. Um, you know, La, but, like, la, la,
1: play... la, la. Fingers <laughs> in the ears right there.
11: Right, right, right. But the point being that, like, you know... Um, there will never be a perfect time so uh, at this point like what do you have to lose and you know um, obviously he's got work to do to lock in his command talked a little bit about that for the story and kind of finding some of those cues that that he goes to when the command leaves him but it got me thinking and it got me wondering and and he is certainly closer than Mick Abel is he's older has more experience Andrew Painter is still a ways away from being ready to pitch in games so as they keep searching, and Christopher Sanchez is going to start here this afternoon, uh, he'll get his chance. But as they keep searching, like, eventually you've got to come around to a guy like McGarry and see, like, what you've got.
3: Is, is that – it would appear that that would probably be a better option, at least right now, than trying to make a trade, Scott, right? I mean, it. it Dombrowski said that the asking price right now is so insane, and Mike and I discussed this a little bit earlier. With the additional wild card, there's more teams that think they're in it. Therefore, the asking yeah. price is higher. Is is that sort of the way they're looking at it, you think?
11: Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, so it's the middle of June and six weeks or six and a half weeks until the deadline. Not going to see a whole lot of deals go down right now. But I also don't see the market changing. Yeah. Um, it is a crazy market right now in general. Really crazy for starting pitching. Blame the 2022 Phillies, honestly, because – A lot of teams right now that are kind of hovering around the wild card look at the 2022 Phillies and say, look at what they did, right? They got in with 87 wins. They clinched in game 160, uh, and they made a run all the way to the World Series. Why can't that be us? And so a lot of teams are not willing to give up the ghost of of that, to give up chasing that, because they're close enough to the wild card. The third wild card brings more teams in, and while it may have made the pennant races more competitive down the stretch – it might also make the trade deadline a bit of a dud this year unless teams are going to get desperate and they're going to give up something big to get a, a, a mid-range or back-end starting pitcher. So, you know, I suspect maybe, like, Lucas Giolito will be uh, there um, uh, late in the – you know, late, closer to the deadline or, you know, Michael Lorenzen or somebody like that who could come in and kind of help you in the way that Noah Syndergaard helped them last year. But even then, right, they gave up Mickey Moniak to get Noah Syndergaard. Like, who's who's – this year's version of that deal so um, yeah I think they're going to exhaust all possibilities that they have so first it's Sanchez and you know maybe it'll be McGarry if Sanchez isn't the answer and then you know maybe maybe it's maybe six weeks from now Andrew Painter's closer and they think he can help them but um, the bottom line is uh, they're going to do everything they can to not have to give up the farm so to speak to make a deal for a mid-range starter who can who can help get them in the playoffs and then Maybe he doesn't even pitch when you get there, but you need the guy to help you get there, and that fifth starter spot's been a, a, real, a real problem for them.
1: Scotty, thank you so much, man. Listen, we're, we're kicking around uh, a question not related to sports. If there's yeah. an actor, director, or recording artist who just is must-listen, must-view for you, I have an idea of who yours is, knowing you as long as I have, but who is it for you?
11: So it's got to be, wait, so it's got to be an actor, actor director
1: or recording artist but I think yours is a little off the beaten path
11: oh okay go ahead well I mean
1: my who would it be for you
11: so I will I will do anything to go see Billy Joel Um, he's my he's my go-to recording artist maybe I'm dating myself a little but um, look his run at Madison Square Garden is coming to an end I got to get to see him one more time there so that's probably my musical answer uh, and I am a sucker for anything that Aaron Sorkin writes that, that on was television, oh. so I will watch. He could write whatever uh, about whatever and whenever, and I will definitely tune in.
1: That was that was the one I Good thought choice. he was going to say. Good yeah.
4: job. Yeah, you you, right. you, you, you
1: were bet. slightly
3: off with your Billy Joel. Your timing. Uh, he, he's you know. He
1: just finished up. Yes. No, here. I thought he finishes the middle of next year. Well, yes, I meant here.
3: But yeah, 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 yeah. You, you are correct. So. Oh
11: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Ma- Madison Square Garden, yeah, in New York. So there you yep. Go. Yep. Yeah, well, we're yeah, a Philadelphia radio I,
1: station, Scott, okay? I, know, I don't know if you're aware it, of this.
11: I know. It's killing me that I couldn't be there this weekend to see him play, right? He was, he was with Stevie Nicks. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah I'll, I'll catch him somewhere else. Scotty, thanks, thanks
3: Scott.
11: All right, anytime,
3: guys. Mike, I don't know about you. If my Facebook feed is any uh, barometer, Mm -hmm. every friend I know is at Billy Joel Stevie Nicks. Yeah,
1: look, I think everybody from age probably 41 to 71 (laughs) in the greater Philadelphia area Probably explored the possibility of going to those concerts and probably went there. Yes. So that's this sweet spot for that for is people you're right. of a certain generation. Are, that's that's correct. all we've been doing is talking today about people who were great in the '80s. It's I know. J. Fox, Billy Joel. We
3: need to move on. We're stuck in the past. We are, man. There, we get we off are. my lawn.
1: <laughs> N- nothing's as good as now as it was in 1985 when At least Billy Ocean was on MTV and Caribbean Queen. You know, Michael J. Fox was on NBC. Dan Wilson, you don't even know you're so young. He's I
3: off. was negative 12. Oh, my God. Go away. Don't do that.
1: <laughs> not now,
3: pal. I'll stop this car right now. <laughs> Turn it right around. It's <laughs> Willton. We're not going now. <laughs> Uh, all right. What else we got coming up here, Robbie? Well, we got a lot more coming up, Mike. So we'll continue with the Phillies discussion. Uh, we'll continue with Noel. I do want to get a little bit more into that Eagles uh, thought that we had, you know, regarding the is anything short of winning the Super Bowl acceptable? But I think also, um, I want to continue with the uh with the discussion of must see artist for you, whether it's director, sure. actor, music. I-, I
1: hinted a little bit at mine, but yeah, I we need really a little more on yet.
3: yours. But I-, I do want to throw one more thing into the equation before we get out of here at one o'clock. And it's regarding the Flyers, who made Ooh. another hire this week. So ah. I want to bounce off of you okay. as well. So we'll do all of that. Don't go anywhere. Matt, John, you guys will be first up. But we got you. 215-592-9494. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Rob Ellison for Glenn. WIP Sports Time is 1224. All right, 1229. Welcome back in, everybody. Rob Ellis in for Glenn Mac now, along with Mike Sealski. Mike, uh, let folks know again, your latest column is on Max uh, Runniger. Max Runiger, Max Runiger yep. a
1: former Eagles punter who uh, was diagnosed with CTE, not what you expect to hear uh, about a punter in the NFL. Uh, but I spoke to Max's son, Colby, who is kind of spreading the word about the, how his father died. And uh, it was um, it was kind of enlightening okay. and and you know, please check it out on Inquire.com. Great, man.
3: Great. Uh, all right. I, I want to get to the callers in a second, but I want to bounce this off you. The Flyers made another hire this week, and they hired John LeClaire
1: mm-hmm. to
3: come in. And he's essentially going to work in conjunction, um, I- I- at least it seems like, with with Jonesy in the, in, yeah. in the front office and town evaluation and uh, Danny Briere and Patrick Sharp, who is now involved as well, who was also a former Flyer. Um, are we falling prey here to a little bit of too much of the former Flyer stuff now?
1: Oh, man... I can't believe we're still talking about uh, I this. I know, but,
3: but but I figure who else to talk to because you have you have yeah, I, written and spoken about this for at great length for a long time.
1: Here's the thing. I don't feel yet the same way about these reunions that I did about what the Flyers had been doing for a long time. It's not as if John LeClaire had been immersed in the Flyers' way of doing things as an executive for a long, long time in the way that Paul Holmgren had been and Bob Clark had been. The bigger issue to me was that the regime that bridged the pre-salary cap era of the NHL and the new era of the NHL never figured out how to adjust. Mm -hmm. And then Ron Hextall came in, and in the macro, he had a good idea about collecting prospects. But in the micro, he didn't draft particularly well, and he ticked off everybody in the organization. Yeah. So I'm willing to give Danny Briere and Keith Jones time to show that this isn't just a new version of the old boys club. Okay. I, I like the, the trade that they made with Proveroff. I they, do too. thought they got a pretty good haul for him. There's more on the way. They're going to move Kevin Hayes. They may move Carter Hart. Uh, so I'm going to judge them on that before I stand back and say, they're just hiring old Flyers and it's all the same as it's ever been. It's going to Matt in LA. That's my old person I, voice. I, is that what that was? That was my Grandpa Simpson old person voice. It had
3: a little Grandpa Simpson.
1: Little let's go, to Matt in LA.
3: Matt,
12: you're on ninety four WIP. Hey, Matt. Hey guys, how you doing? Um, Hi, we're talking. Let's talk a little bit about the belief in the Phillies. Um, I think they're passing a couple tests, at least for me. I, yeah, as you said, I live out here in LA, and after they beat the Dodgers. I treated myself by hopping on a plane and catching the last two games of that Diamondback series oh, nice. because I had that Very irrational exuberance about the <laughs> Phillies. And um, what I wanted to say about that, though, is when I saw the last game I was going to was going to be pitched by Aaron Nola, I kind of went, ugh, because <laughs> I'll be honest, his record at 4-4 four and four is a microcosm of what I think of Aaron Nola. And, and, and as much as we talk about the fifth starter, to me, a fifth starter should be 50-50 if you're going to win, even in a bullpen game. The problem is Aaron Nola is 50-50 if you're going to win. And I think that's um, it's a huge issue. It almost feels like the Embiid conundrum where you're going to have to give this guy, or even the Harden one, this guy a lot of money um, because you don't want to lose a pitcher of that caliber, but you don't want to overpay for him. And you guys, WIP had a great poll this week, which was, In order, who do you have more confidence in? And it was Wheeler, Suarez, and Nola. And Nola is an easy third, I think, for any of us. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that's going to be the real story about the rest of the season. I know he did great going into the end of the year. But look, in the last few games of the playoffs, he's he's just a guy. I, I compare him to that kid in class who what this umpire thing who's always like raising their hand like well did you mean this or or can we change this on the test or you didn't put this in the philip i mean could you spell it yeah (laughs) yeah, where ranger goes out and literally looks like the most he's like i don't care is the pitch clock 12 seconds fine i'll do it yeah and um, I, I, to me, okay. guys, I think that's the big test here.
3: Yeah, my fair points, man, and thank you for the call. I'm glad yeah, to, glad you got to see a couple wins there. That, that that's good. If you flew to Arizona, like I, I think it's unfair to go quite that far. Of just, like I'm not lumping him in with with Harden. I I'm not doing that because he wins the game in Houston to get you in. Yep. Right. He deals in St. Louis. Yep. He was really good in the Braves. And now I know the wheels started coming off yes. after that. I get it. I'm not. I'm acknowledging that as well. Um. But he, I think he makes a really good point in that there's so few st- starters out there that are quality.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you afford to let him walk? I'm not sure you can. I'm really not sure you can. Because the guy takes the ball yeah. every fifth day, every single year. He leads the league in innings this year. Uh, he did last year. He 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 threw 205 innings last year. Look, he's not quite what I think people thought he was going to be. And some of this comes down to simply expectations that people around here have for him. The other aspect of it, too, is it's this quirk of his that he looks great for four innings and then mushroom cloud in the fifth, and then he might get through the sixth. Mm-hmm. And I think that frustrates people, that it's it would be one thing if he were getting his doors blown off yeah. every time he went out and was giving a team no chance. He's not doing that. He's great, and then he stinks for a little while, and then he's kind of good again. So... I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. I do think they have a tough choice to make this offseason. I
3: do, because he's going to get a lot of money.
1: He's If it's not the Phillies, somebody else is going to pay him a ton.
3: No doubt. John and Brynmar, John, you're on 94 to BIP. Hey,
7: how you doing, guys? What's up, John? Hi, John. Hey, uh, Mike. You remember I called uh, last week and told you the Phillies turned it around and they were going to sweep the Dodgers? I, I do that. I do remember
1: that, John. You were clairvoyant.
7: Yes, very. Well, they didn't sweep the Dodgers, but... They're playing really well, and um, I went. I took my family down to the game. Unfortunately, I took the wrong game. Uh, Ah, you went to the the Saturday
1: nine nothing game. Okay.
7: Yeah, and it was hot. and And let me tell you something. So, so we were sitting in right field. So I was behind. I uh, I was a little to the left of Nola, and I could see the pitch clock. And I was watching. How upset he was getting, and disoriented when the clock got down to like five, mm-hmm. and when he gave up that first double that led to two runs, I believe it was the third inning, yeah, yeah, you could tell when that clock got down you could you could you could see him starting to panic, yeah, his body language totally showed it, but you know what, everybody else is going through it. And he's gonna he's gonna have to to adjust.
1: Yeah, you know, John, um, this this would be a good experiment. I've mentioned this on the show before.
7: And I want to say one thing. Don't yeah. don't hang up. Here. I want to say one thing. I'm more, it up. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm kidding. kidding.
1: Just I would say this. It it would be a good bit of research and experimentation to find out which teams had the had pitchers who worked faster than any other pitchers in the league, and how they have adjusted from last season to this season in the pitch clock. Uh, because Aaron Nola was a slow worker. He was 30 seconds
3: yep. more deliberate with a runner on base than he was without uh, any
1: Yeah, somebody needs to crunch the numbers on that to see if there's any correlation between, you know, pitchers who got better or are still great based on how quickly they work last season of this season.
3: All right, John, get your last point
7: in, please. Yeah, uh, so two two points. They are going to win every series from now on. Well every one. Every series they're going to win from now on. And the only thing that I wanted to say when they are having fun, and this is how it started last year. When they turned it around last year, they were having fun, and they were winning games late, and the camera was panning into the dugout, and everybody was having fun and slapping the fence. And, and, and this is the same exact thing that happened last year with them, and they're doing it now. Yes. And, and they, when you have fun, you're less stressed, you're not thinking as much, and you're just doing things naturally. And this is why they are going to – Wins the division. Well, the, the, there you go, John. The, the question like,
1: is whether the fun comes first or the winning, John. That's the thing.
3: Well, and there's, there's, look, there's many things that are involved here. The starting pitching's been excellent. I think the bullpen's been underrated all year. They've done a really nice job all year. A couple guys' arms fell off early by yeah. being overused, Bilotti and, and some of those guys. But for the most part, the bullpen's been good. Kimbrel has kind of emerged here. Mm-hmm. And I, Mike, I thought he was cooked. I did too. I'm very surprised. I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Okay. And you know, he, how about him the other day? What do you get? Three violations in the ninth, and he still got through it. He did. He did. Bizarre, right? Ha- the power of the man bun. It is. It is. Did you see his dad? His
1: dad could use a man bun.
3: His dad. <laughs> what were those guys in in Louisiana? The. Uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, that, oh, the the Duck Dynasty? Yeah. He had a Duck
1: Dynasty feel. He that. did, very much so. Um, but it was fun
3: to watch him react. He was very excited for it. I'm He was. I don't want to
1: knock. He, hey, he's he's been terrific, and the bullpen, generally speaking, has been really good. Yep. And they're going to need that to make a run, to get into the playoffs, and certainly they're going to need it in October if they get there.
3: There's that, the bats, but I have perhaps the most important reason and the, the most integral reason why they've gotten this thing turned around. You ready for it? Bring it on here it is it's back Mike it's back since Garrett Stubbs decided to reinstate dancing on my own I think they're like 12 and 2 you know how it's very real
2: Mike after Schwarber called it a loser song
1: he did Schwarber went after it and they said you know what Kyle tough you, Rob, you know how we're discussing during this show certain actors and actresses whose yes. movies you absolutely have to see or a director who you, whose movie you have to see or a recording yep. artist, a singer whose songs you just love and you go out and buy their album and download their music? <laughs> yes. All of that is the opposite for me with that song. All of it. I will tell you,
3: I don't get it a little bit, but if it works for them, it's like Schwarber in the leadoff spot. I guess. It's if, only
2: weird if it doesn't work.
3: Exactly. Yes. I, do. Like, how that motivates... Athletes, that song, I I don't know. I I don't know. But I don't know. Somehow it does, Mike. Some
1: of them are very mysterious. Athletes can be very mysterious. mysterious By
2: the way, people. we work in radio, so not ever got to see this, but Rob is like while you're talking, like telling, like whispering in my ear, like can we get the song up? And Mike's I pull up, like What is Rob and, doing? But Mike had no idea that was coming, yeah. and the head drop that Mike had <laughs> when we played the song was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Uh, I and there's no way whi- any listener could appreciate what we just saw. I yeah. gave
1: myself whiplash from, uh, from right. dropping my head so quickly. I wanted to spring that bad boy on Thank you. Thank you. Now, all right, so we, Dan, you need to play. Some- Some Springsteen or some Beatles or some Dire Straits, just to even that out, to cleanse my memory. Some
2: Billy Joel for you and Scott Laubert.
1: I like Billy Joel. I'm not a huge Billy Joel guy. I I like the stuff that everybody else likes. Um, But Springsteen, uh, as I said, Dire Straits, Tom Petty, the Beatles, the Stones. All right, let's
2: take care of. When was the last time the Beatles or Springsteen started a 12 and two run?
1: Exactly, Mike. Ask yourself that. Well, let me think.
3: Paul McCartney did nothing to help this team. (laughs) Okay, and it's a what time have they ever won up? for Philadelphia?
1: Nothing. That's true.
3: Seriously, that's true. you think Bruce cares? <laughs> no. You think what? Mickey Mantle cares about you? <laughs> Thank you. Calum Ch- Scott,
2: by the way, uh, heard that Phillies Ch- are using Ch- the song again and showed him some social media. Oh, love. So he's all back on board as uh, a Phillies fan. No. I
3: knew you were worried about Calum. All Scott. I
1: know is, all I know is, you know, Bruce Springsteen will throw that speedball by you. Yeah. and make, make, you make you feel like, like a, a fool. Boy, that's one of his worst songs. Speedball. Yeah. Just say fastball. Why wasn't there anybody in the studio to tell him? It's not it was, called the speedball. Just ball. say fastball. I know. I know. It's a, it's an old Bill Simmons line that any any mass market uh, creative thing, a movie, a song, or something like that, needs to have someone on set to fact check the sports stuff. Yes. You know, yes. This, the movie in this scene with basketball looks terrible. Here's what you need to do to make it look realistic. It's why I appreciate it
3: major league. Like, Charlie Sheen could throw a baseball. Yep. Okay? You know, Wesley Snipes, not bad. Eh. But he could run. He, yeah. You bought that he could run. Yes. What? But my one of my all-time, if it, it's like a top three for me, is the natural. I mm. love the natural. Redford looked like he could play. Yeah. Here's the problem. The closing scene, with his son. Yeah. Whatever he was. His son can't throw. His son can't throw. Roy Hobbs' son <laughs> genetically would be able to throw. Okay. <laughs> I mean,
1: come on, Glenn Close could have thrown better than the son. Well, maybe Glenn Close was not athletic, you know, athletic well, enough to.
2: What annoys you more, inconsistencies in, like, sports or inconsistencies when it comes to, like, the city? Remember, like, Rocky the Musical called it the south side of Philly? Yeah. And, like, <laughs> clearly no one from Philadelphia was in the room? Yeah. What yeah. are we doing? Anyone I want to stop that.
1: I think sports bothers me more because sports is more accessible. You really have to do some digging if yeah. you're unfamiliar with Philadelphia to know what certain regions are called. So there right? should be someone yeah. from
2: Philadelphia in the room.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yes, but it's harder to pin those down than it is to find a group of actors who can— Shoot a jump shot or throw a baseball, uh, something like that. Like seems like a simpler Jimmy Chip fix. Jimmy Chitwood had good form. Right, right. Like a yeah. league of their own. The, part of the reason a league of their own is a great sports movie is because all, you know Gina Davis yeah. and Madonna and Lori Petty look like they played softball yeah. or baseball. Excuse me. They were athletic. Baseball. They were athletic looking. Yes, agreed. So, agreed.
3: Know. All right. I I don't usually rip the natural, but I had to rip it. Mike. Yeah, there, I mean, I didn't want
1: to. There's that. I get it. I all get right. it's one of my favorites too. But yeah, the kid at the end. Come on, man. Now. He throws like my nine-year-old. And he That's had a good.
3: glove. He clearly played. Yeah. You know, the, the, the he left it at the apartment. Maybe when, it was some Roy Hobbs went over to visit.
1: You know, the son of f- some executive wanted to be in the movie, and they just threw him in there at the end. Yeah, I, I think so.
3: All right, we, did we get too deep into that? Ron just and, a bit. Let me get Ron in here. Rod in Birdsboro. Ron, you're on 94 WIP. Hey, Ron. Hey, how you doing?
0: Good good interview with the, um – I'm sorry, what's the journalist's it's name? Loud, Scott,
10: yes. It,
0: I, I want to bring up two names that uh, – that, I'd like the path for the Phillies to go to. Go ahead. Um, Marty Bystrom and Darren Ruff. Marty Bystrom, I think was like a September call up during their eighty World he was. Series year. Yes he
7: was. And went five and zero. Oh.
4: Yeah. And
0: and before that, Darren Ruff, I well, no, think. Yeah. He was calling up he was called up from double A. Like like he didn't even make it to triple A. He went right to the major league.
1: Yeah, look, I think there is something to be said for giving a guy a shot in a big spot. You don't do it all the time. You don't want to have to count on them or anything like that. We we saw what happened at the beginning of this season where they went in kind of saying to themselves, hey, Andrew Painter is going to be our fifth starter and we're just going to roll with it. And before you know it, you've got Bailey Falter out there and things are faltering, needless to say. So uh, I wouldn't be opposed to McGarry coming up. Give it a shot. I agree you know, he's got to prove that he's not going to walk six and two innings, but, you know, what other better options do you have? What right. are you going to give up to get a decent fifth starter? That's right. what I would and, ask. And the
3: other point you brought up and Scott brought up as well, I mean, it's a pretty low bar here. It, it, it's not exactly like you're getting great productivity out of that spot anyway. I don't know that McGarry could be much worse.
1: No, I don't think <laughs> he's – no, and and he may be terrific. Who yeah, knows? You know, exactly. Ron made a good point about Marty Bystrom in 1980. and Bob
3: Walk was a rookie pitcher on that team too.
1: Yeah, and, and you see it a lot. You see it from – Teams year after year after year that bring a kid up, and he's unfamiliar to the major leagues and their hitters, and before you know it, he's getting guys out.
3: All right, we'll come back. Uh, We'll put a bow on this bad boy. We'll get to as many calls as we can get to before 1 o'clock. 215-592-9494. I was just
1: going to say, Dan Wilson will tell us what we forgot to talk about. We have um, uh, Go Birds Radio coming up. We do, with with Elliot and James. From Parks. And and I have
3: a a live streaming I-95 question for you as well. When we come back, okay. Uh, you sound thrilled, Mike Sealski, Rob Ellis. WIP Sports Time is twelve.
1: See now, see. Here's where you're making a mistake, Dan. Should have won. He should have won. You gotta go with a deeper cut. You have to go with a deeper cut. See, I was thinking Glory
3: days, So you got your your speed ball in there. No,
1: that would be even worse. You, you've got to go with the I mean, fever. Let me think. You could do The Fever. You could do, I mean, if you're going to do Born to Run, you go with maybe meeting across the river or back streets. Or Dan. All he's trying to do is provide you with some Springsteen.
3: Oh, I, no, was, I was
2: I was told to play Springsteen coming out of break. It. Who's the I song appreciate.
1: by? I just want to hold you
4: to, to the, a same, higher standard, st- to the yeah. same
1: standard that Bruce holds himself to mm. when it's time to take the stage. Wow. And he's got a packed stadium or a packed arena. And they know he's going to be out there for three and a half hours doing it the way he's always done.
2: Well, he doesn't have to pick which song when he does concerts that long. he just play every song he's ever written.
1: Not true. If he played every song he
3: ever it, wrote, be there we'd
1: be there
2: 24 weeks. hours. We'd yeah. be there weeks. <laughs> yes. So I guess he's got to narrow it down from what, like thousands to, <laughs> to, hundreds. Yeah, to hundreds? To yes. hundreds,
3: yes. All right, no. so I had a question before we get to what we what we uh, missed. Yeah, what we forgot to talk about. Yes. Um, <laughs> they are live, PennDOT, I guess, the state is is live-streaming the rebuilding of I-95. Yes. This has become a whole thing. I know, because yeah, it's, it, it's a whole thing. It is Philly, therefore it's a whole thing. Yes. So, <laughs> A, have you watched it all? Have you streamed it all? I have not. I streamed Thursday because it was one of my topics on my show Thursday night. Okay. So you have a big watch party for it? You bring, <laughs> it was, you bring yeah, the friends so much, over yeah. for it? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was like boxing back in the day with pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You had a whole right? gang of people come over. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were tailgating. It was a whole thing. So, I'll ask both of you guys. Mike, mm-hmm. I'll start with you on this one. If you could live stream any day-to-day sort of what you would normally think is like mundane, what would it be?
1: I would live stream a Philadelphia deli slash sandwich shop. Okay. I think that would be great. The one, the kind where the Right owners, around lunchtime? Yeah. The owners are are behind the counter and they're making the sandwiches. Kind of a riff on that whole uh, Sebastian Maniscalco stand-up that yes. he does about... I'm just gonna cut your meat and yeah, you're gonna yeah, eat it yeah, like yeah. that. That would be 53. Hilarious. You're up. Yeah, that would be hilarious. To okay, me. I like I would, that. W- I would watch that, Dad.
2: I want a day to day. So I interned with him at his radio station in Levittown a few years ago. I want a day to day Merrill cam. Just like <laughs> everything he does. Like, cause that guy talks in one voice. It's his broadcasting voice. Like, I'm gonna have a sandwich for lunch, yes. and I just, I just want 24 seven Merrill. That's so, great.
1: That's great. You know, you know what Merrill does before. On the morning of every Eagles game when he's home, yeah. his wife Cindy makes him breakfast, usually makes him pancakes, and he takes a bath. Right. And then that's kind of how he relaxes to get himself ready to call an Eagles game.
2: Oh, mm-hmm. I don't need to see the bath. Yeah, the want breakfast that I'll take. Yeah. Yeah, I, we don't need that streamed. <laughs> no,
1: absolutely not.
2: They're going to be intermissions. But, but I want the pancake breakfast. Well, I I'll, I'll take say, that. I yeah. just
1: The moment where he goes, Cindy, I'm, it's time for my pancakes now. Like, that would be great. <laughs> I want I want
2: pregame Merrill, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: he's great. Don't get Don't get me wrong. This there is absolutely no like edge to what I'm saying here. I, I love Merrill. Yeah, I've known him a long time. He's
3: After the best. hearing that
1: impression, I don't think Conklin's worked. Oh, I, oh. I I think he's all right. I'm offended, Rob
3: Ellis. <laughs> yes.
2: All right. So uh, what do we miss here, Dan Wilson? All right. So we got a few things. Uh, one, an old friend of ours here in Philadelphia, uh, working with another old friend of ours. I should say. Did we all see who Carson Wentz is now working out with?
1: John Gruden. John maybe.
2: Gruden. Who also was working with Derek Carr this off season? Like he's had an interesting couple yeah. of months here.
3: You know what I got a kick out of the whole. Hey, um, you know I would be available for a backup role. No duh. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry. We're, we're all the teams that needed a starter? You know, knocking down your door. I'm now taking calls yeah. for, for backup roles. N-
1: the news that broke that was from Adam Schefter, of course, and the way Schefter wrote the tweet. Yeah, it was so obvious that Wentz's agents. Yes. wanted him to frame it this way that Wentz is just kind of sitting back and waiting for someone to call him as if teams aren't going, dude, we will sign you for the league minimum to if, be our If backup. four people get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, just is, it was an insight into how the sausage gets made in NFL coverage. Exactly.
2: Beggars can't be choosers. Uh, number two is this week the Charlotte Hornets got sold. Uh, Michael Jordan will now no longer be the majority owner of the team. Can you think of anyone ever who has been so good at, like, playing a sport And so horrendous at managing a team within that same sport.
1: That's a good question. Ted Williams was the manager of the Washington Senators Senators back in the early 70s when they were not good. However, their batting average, all their hitting uh, totals increased during his two years while he was there. So he could teach them hitting. He just couldn't manage. I'll give
3: you one. Steve Nash was a horrible coach. There you go. And he was a great player. Yeah. yeah, did Ted Williams
2: the way Michael Jordan did, like challenge his own players to like hitting contests and stuff no, like that? Jo- the,
1: the thing about Jordan, look, you could argue, and I think he probably is the greatest player of all time. But what what soured me on Michael Jordan was watching the Last Dance and the way that he tormented Jerry Krause, yeah, and kept taking shots at that guy. And and Krause was nobody's like favorite human being, but you kick the guy when he's down, and you rip him for breaking up the Bulls. Jerry Krause could have done Michael Jordan's job better as a player in the NBA than Michael Jordan did Jerry Krause's job as yeah. an executive.
3: The other thing about Jordan was the Hall of Fame speech. It was it was a big I told you so and, like, sticking it to everybody. Like, yeah. dude, just a, just enjoy and appreciate what you're getting here. It, that's it's the, over.
1: That's the way he's wired.
3: He's one wired of the most insecure
2: – I mean, he yeah. tell you that's what made him great, but sure. one of the most insecure guys ever, even mm-hmm. flying the high school guy who made the team over him out. I mean, it was a whole – Weird, yeah. It was a whole thing. By the way, that flu game story from the last dance, total bogus. Yeah. That did not happen. Pizza. Bad pizza. <laughs> P- yeah, bad yeah. pizza in Utah. No way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that transitions us to uh, story number three here. Uh, I don't know what you guys made of the the A's reverse protest uh, earlier this week. It's when they were playing the Rays, not the Phillies. But the reverse protest of, as Rob Manfred say, said it, uh, having a league average crowd show up for one night. Uh, There was a lot of
3: passive aggressive.
2: There was a lot of passive aggressive. Oh, cool. The A's got a league-average crowd for one night. And I thought there was some irony, too. The night the A's did that protest, it was planned out. It kind of just worked out this way. Mm -hmm. Vegas wins its first championship the same exact night. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the team's leaving for.
1: I just don't understand why Rob Manfred is so bad at this. Like, he just opened himself up to getting Mm -hmm. ripped for days afterwards by making that snide comment. All you have to do is stand up and say, look, we understand that A's fans are upset, and they're wonderful fans, but blah, 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 blah. Here's why we're doing this. And he couldn't even do that. No. He had to take a shot at these poor people. Yeah.
2: And <laughs> did, Dan? What else we got? Uh, that, that's the three I have. Good the work. three things we
3: forgot to miss. Yeah. I like those. And, oh. you know, the other ironic part is they have one more year at the Oakland Coliseum. They're averaging 8,000 a year this year. Imagine. What do you think next year is going to look like when they know they're going to Vegas?
1: That's a great question. Maybe people from Vegas make the drive. And
2: <laughs> but but wait, have we seen where room? are they going to play? Because that stadium is not going to be ready for twenty five. Uh, yeah, I
3: don't know where they're going to put them for for. A like
2: of Oakland's there. not going to want to keep them. No, it's not going to. Be remember Oak. when the Chargers left San Diego? They're forced to play be at like a soccer UNLV stadium. stadium they're something. going to be playing in a yeah. minor league stadium. Yeah. They're or something. going to be
1: playing inside the biggest suite in the Bellagio. Yes. All the games will be indoors. Indoor games, yeah. They're going like to get the Rain Man suite, baby. I like And it. they will play all their home games. Which
2: means this is the Phillies' final ever trip to the Coliseum. Yeah, Judge Wapner will be
3: there. There what? you go. Yeah. All right. yeah. Uh, Dan Wilson, great job producing the program. Mike, fun, man. Fun hanging always out. Always fun, Rob. Al- Thanks. Always appreciate it, my friend. All right, don't go anywhere. We have Go Birds with James Seltzer and Elliot Shore Parks. I'll be back with you guys tomorrow at 1 o'clock with Al Morgani. Everybody, have a great rest of your Saturday. Have a great Father's Day weekend. And we'll talk to you soon. WIP Sports Time is twelve fifty eight.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest five G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to twenty percent versus AT and T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.
4: It's